Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Welcome to episode 189 with my guest Lance L. I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour. Honesty about all the battles in our heads, from medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas, and sexual dysfunction, to everyday compulsive negative thinking. This show is not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. It's not a doctor's office. I ain't no therapist. It's more like a waiting room that doesn't suck. The website for this show is mentalpod.com. A mental pod is also the Twitter handle you can follow me at. Do not try reaching me uh, through CB radio with the Twitter handle. Mental pod. You will get nothing but angry truckers. Uh, and hi out there to some of our trucker uh, listeners. I know uh, we got a, a listener named Brian who is a long haul trucker. That sounds like a cool, such a cool, I'm a long haul trucker. It doesn't get any more masculine than that. Um, although I'm sure there's some uh, some tough ladies who are long haul truckers. And uh, eh, that didn't sound condescending at all. And speaking of condescending... Um, I want to read a email uh, I got from a uh, a listener who um, is her name is Jody and she took exception to uh, an interview I did uh, a couple of people uh, ago uh, the interview with Susanna Lee and um, she writes hi Paul I'm a frequent listener and appreciate very much how much the podcast seems to help provide comfort to a lot of people who are struggling. In the interview with Susanna Lee, however, I felt anger for the first time since I began listening. I know that you can't make everyone happy all the time, and for me, uh, and for every time, um, and for every me, there is probably someone who thinks the opposite, but here goes. I was upset regarding your comments about strip clubs and feeling cheated by not having the stripper, quote, take the mask off. Here's the thing. 
Paul, as a customer who pays to have a stripper wave her crotch in your face, you don't get to also demand her thoughts and feelings. By being in a situation where you are commodifying someone in this way, you must know that she is allowed to do her job and protect whatever parts of herself she needs to in order to get through her shift. Please don't pretend that you are better than the customers who are uh, only there to see her gyrate around. You are asking for that plus parts of her soul, which rather than making you a superior customer makes you actually more intrusive. She is not condescending to you with her act. She is doing her job. She is not your buddy. She is not your girlfriend. And you should not expect more than her act. And by the way, when you think strippers have taken off the mask in the past, I'm pretty sure that was still part of the act. I don't mean to be hurtful here. I just want you to know that I think you are out of line in this thinking. Now you can tell me to fuck off, Jody. Um, thank you for sending that, Jody. That was not easy to read. And um, I would just uh, say that what I was expressing, you know, I said in the... And, and that very much applies to the me that used to go to strip clubs. As I said in the interview, I don't go to them anymore because I just find them sad. And... Um, and I just don't like the whole vibe in there. The whole thing just feels phony. Um, and um, I feel phony. I f- feel phoniness from them. And but I, I get. I understand what you're. I understand what you're saying. Um, I suppose I should have been more clear that I was speaking about the old me that used to go in there and and want that. And I general generally genuinely did not understand. Um, even as I was talking to Susanna, why um, the cliched kind of act of sexy that um, just seems weird to me is used so often when there's so many other ways that somebody could be um, sexy doing that job that are more organic where they don't have to give away any part of themselves, any part of their soul. Um, there you have it, but, uh, feel free to tell me to fuck off. And, and you know, the thing that I appreciate, and I've said this before, when you guys do take exception, um, to something I've done or said or an attitude that I have, um, you're so diplomatic with it. And, um, I appreciate that because it's, it's hard for me to grow as a person and as a, a host, um, if there's vitriol in it, because uh, then it's going to, you know, I'm just going to be like, well, fuck that person. Anyway, here's another critical email. Um, This wasn't so much critical as it was uh, questioning. He writes, um, let's see, he wants to be called confused. And he writes, Paul, I enjoy your podcast and have sent financial support previously. I'm confused about something, however. Over the years, I've often heard you talk disparagingly about narcissists. On the latest episode, 188, you said, fucking narcissist. Later in the same program, a lady claims her father was a narcissistic asshole, and you then said, I just wanted to cheer. I wonder why you don't have that same compassion, the same compassion for narcissism that you have for other mental illnesses. It seems to me that that is similar to cheer someone who calls a borderline personality person a bitch would you talk like that to a narcissist who is a guest on your show i don't know any narcissists so i don't take personal offense i just don't understand the inconsistency nevertheless you have a very unique and interesting podcast thanks and i thought that was a great question and so i emailed him back 
And I said, um, while my intent wasn't to disparage people with narcissistic personality disorder, uh, I'm sure it probably comes across that way. What I really get mad at is people who only think of themselves when they're raising their kids. Uh, the narcissism of their actions more than those who are clinically defined. But your point is great. And, um, thank you. I, I think it's, it, it's unfortunate that the word, um, Herbert is, of course, doing his, Thursday night digging because I've I'm, I've got the microphone on. Why would he be quiet? Um, it's unfortunate that there that the term narcissist um, has kind of become equated with somebody who has narcissistic personality disorder, and um, it's because I'm not I'm I'm not meaning to dis disparage people who suffer from the personality, just more so the people that are, why am I repeating what I said? All right. Um, oh, there was one more thing I wanted to read. Where the fuck was that? Oh, it's all going downhill. And then I wanted to read this. Uh, this is from a listener who calls herself K-Bake, and this is from The Struggle in a Sentence, and about her... Um, it's actually her husband's uh, struggle, but as you know, it affects the spouse. And she writes, my husband's OCD and depression. He is the sweetest human being, but he hears voices telling him to kill himself, kill me, kill our cats. Our marriage was so normal until it wasn't. Every time he hears the voice again, my heart sinks, and I know nothing will ever be the way we thought it was going to be. And then a snapshot from her life that highlights... Uh, her issues or struggles or her husband's, she writes, my husband's parents don't believe in mental illness. They are very conservatively religious and think it is a character weakness and caused by not having enough faith, not praying enough, disobeying God, etc. After my husband got sick last summer, we met them at a restaurant to help them understand what was going on with him. His dad said it was probably because he was still watching Family Guy. Oh God, I wish I didn't need to take meds. Flat out fucking auditory hallucinations. I would literally wake up running from my bed. I'm afraid that I'll pass my anger on to my son. I thought the gunman was my father. Afraid of not being able to make a living. Um, that's probably going to break his heart if he hears it, but that's that's the truth. They committed him to Bellevue. There was this fear that if I feel this pain, I wish someone could see what was going on and just help me, that it will kill me and I will die and I will drown. You can't think your way out of a thinking problem. And I cried the way that a baby cries. Cried like an animal. It makes me so mad at myself that I do that. The burden of perfectionism. And that's when I got to therapy. Let's talk about that. So I was like, fuck it, I'm alive. I don't give a shit about anything. You are a shining example of what is best about human beings. I'm worried that the uh, Russian militia is coming over the hill. I know that, uh, but uh, Alice, how you feeling? I'm pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> like I'm here with uh, with Lance. Uh, we're going to withhold his last name because he's currently in the army, and he hasn't currently come out to his family yet. Um, and he used some drugs when he was in the army. So let's just—he he is grimacing right now. Yeah, just out is, there. <laughs> is this hard for you to? to no, no, to it's talk? fine. No, no. Okay. I'll, just, I'll take it funny. Okay. Uh, thank you for for contacting me and for coming up here to tell your story. Um, Gosh, where would be uh where would be a good place to uh 
to to start uh, i guess i guess the, the beginning I started at the beginning uh the beginning i guess okay um you're how old i'm 24 you're a, you're a young and yeah i'm a baby i'm a baby um and how long you're a, uh, an iraqi veteran yes yes sir how long did you serve over there uh, i was over there for a year one you know one year deployment yeah how was that? Uh, it was actually, uh, I I would like to be like, you know, I was like, I'm fucked up because of that. No, it was actually very calm. Um, I work with uh, JAG in the Army. So, like, um, I work the, the in the TV show JAG. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was I was in the office. I was in the office for a year, you know, and it was it was fun. I learned a lot. So, like, I what, didn't see anything crazy. What does JAG stand for? Um, JAG Judge off, Advocate JAG General. Uh, Judge Advocate General. Okay. Uh, which basically means uh, we work with the law. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm okay. sorry. Yeah, we work with the law. Uh, I'm a paralegal. Okay. In the army, so I work with JAG officers, which are civilian attorneys, but they go in the army to become JAG okay. officers, and that's what I used to do. I do um, still do. And I love the term JAG officers. It could so closely be <laughs> mispronounced as JAG off. <laughs> do you have you ever heard the term JAG off? Yes, I have. Okay, I don't know if that's a Midwestern thing. Oh or no, not. no, no! I've yeah. heard it. I, I okay. don't use it, but yeah, I've heard it. It's such a Chicago thing. <laughs> yeah, fucking JAG off. Yes, uh, prefer cunt. You are uh, from where? I'm from Fresno, California. Okay. Um. So what was uh, what was childhood like? Uh, I was I had an interesting, very very interesting childhood. Um, my my grandparents are Jehovah Witnesses, so that formed a lot of you know things that happened. Um, I left with my mom a traditional, I don't want to say traditional, but you know stereotypical black upcoming. Uh, no dad, single mom. I had a sister, and yeah, that was it. And um, just coming up it was like i said it was interesting my uh my grandparents were jehovah witnesses so we were you know we had the black experience and that like we didn't have you know a dad in the home and stuff like that but because they're jehovah witnesses the the culture is a little skewed so you know how, how so um they don't celebrate birthdays and like they you know they don't celebrate holidays not just birthdays i don't care about birthdays but uh why is that um because they don't believe in them i guess like uh i don't they they don't celebrate birthdays because it's like worshiping yourself and you only worship mm. God, so you don't do that. Oh, that says a lot, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, and they're oh God, yeah, they're oh. so, so I would imagine it would be hard to build self esteem uh, in that in oh, environment. Yeah, this is very it's very cold. It's uh almost robotic, like you know, and um and like I said, it was my grandparents, so it was a little removed, so it wasn't directly in my house, but you know that. That came. That was what my mom was under. So, like I said, robotic. That filters down. Yeah. Yeah. And my mom. Yeah. Just I want to say robot. Maybe robot. She's a robot. Was she well oiled? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, not. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So growing up in the house um, with that was weird. Uh, my mom. She is. I don't know. Um, I'm still. I'm still going through issues with her, like big time. Uh, she. I want to say my life was a chapter. Like it's chapters based on who she was dating. You know what I mean by that? I do. Yeah. So. I do. I. I get so many emails and surveys filled out by people whose lives were so dramatically affected by not even the people that their parent was living with, but the parent that they were seeing. Mm-hmm. 
Or the yeah, person that their parent will yeah. see. Yeah. And it's it's sad because it's just like you wanna you wanna have a you know, when I was a little kid I loved my mom, you know, I was a lot of respect for her and then like as I started getting older and seeing that trend, you it's hard. You know, it's hard to respect someone when it's just like like you said, they do they do whatever their spouse is doing. So like I joke about it all the time, but like if my mom's boyfriend's a ninja, my mom would be into ninja stuff, you know, scuba diver, she's like whatever Whatever it is, you know, and uh, you almost have to joke about it because it's, it's fucked up. You know, you got to wonder, too, when that's that seems like that's so related to if their upbringing is where their humanity is designed by d- denied by a really imposing structure mm-hmm. by the people that that raise them where any sense of personality or individual individuality is crushed for you know, the quote unquote higher purpose that mm-hmm. the, the people raising them believe is good for them. That person grows up, man, just so desperately trying to find out who they are. And it, it makes sense that she would lose herself in these relationships because imagine in her mind, that was a chance for her to try to form an identity. But how unfortunate for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very, very unfortunate. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, so I don't know. Yeah, that's, that, that's what it was like. Like, I remember when I was a small kid, uh, well, not, well, yeah, um, my mom's first major boyfriend was, uh, when we were about four years old. And that's when it started. So, like, brothers you know, and sisters? How, um, how? Oh, what do you mean? How, did you have any brothers oh, and yeah, sisters? Oh, yeah, I have one sister who's older. And, um, we have a funny, I guess I'll get to it later, but she's half white. Mm-hmm. And you know uh, that that was kind of interesting growing up. So um, you had a little a little light skinned baby and a little chocolate baby in the same house, and it was very interesting growing up with that. And um, yeah, so me and my sister, uh, we we all lived in the house with my my mom, her sister, and her my mom's sister, my aunt's husband, and her kid. And we were kind of like just like a big family in the house, and uh, we loved it, loved it. You know, before that was like when it was good. Uh, everybody liked each other in the house, you know, nobody was, you know, doing anything to us. It was good. And then she met her, I guess, first, like I said, first major boyfriend that I could remember. And uh, his name was Ivan. Oh, man. Ivan the Terrible. Ivan the Terrible. Oh, man. Uh, I hope he hears this. Um, Ivan, we, once again, my mom, we moved in with this guy. My mom must have known him for a couple months. We moved in with this guy, and I'm four. My sister's five, and he has a kid who's my age, four. And uh, we all were just this weird family, and we lived in a one-bedroom apartment. And uh, we went from living with our family, loving environment, to, you know, one-bedroom apartment with my mom and her boyfriend. And Where did everybody sleep in a one-bedroom? We slept, they slept in their room, and then me, my sister, and my stepbrother, we all slept in the living room. And we would just, like, like I just remember there was a long couch. Me and my brother would sleep on one. I would sleep on the end. He would sleep on the end. And my sister would sleep on this other couch alone. And that was that was brief. That was brief, but it happened, and it was just weird. Well, at least the TV's there if you Oh if yeah, you well, want to yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we always got the TV. <laughs> and yeah, it was it was it was crazy. And I remember we stayed there I think maybe a year. Maybe a year. It wasn't real long, but we had started school and we were going to school and they used to make us walk to school. 
like to the school bus and mind you it's a five-year-old like you know i'm thinking about it back then or it seemed normal but like they're sending a a, a five-year-old two five-year-olds and a six-year-old to walk to a bus stop like that's pretty far and you know that was who we were yeah. dealing with and um i remember like oh this was this was a big thing uh, i remember like we lived there and my sister she had her dad um and my stepbrother had his mom and they would leave to go with their other you know their their parents in the summer and uh, it would just be me because I didn't know my dad, you know, uh, I didn't have a dad. So I would stay with my mom and her boyfriend and um, it kind of they would just like leave me to my own devices. And luckily I wasn't bad. Like, but like I would be like, hey, I want to make cereal. And they'd be like, go make cereal, you know. And as a four year old, five year old, I would just go make cereal. And, you know, it became very self-sufficient that way. And um, one of the big memories I remember my sister, my sister and my brother, they were out of town for the summer um, with their, you know, prospective parents. And uh, my sister had been talking to my my her dad, her actual dad, who um, we attributed this to him being a white man. But he was hearing things and he was just like, fuck this. What are you doing? Like, you know, like this is not how you raise kids. Because my sister just told him, like, just general truths like, oh, we eat noodles. We eat top ramen a lot. And, you know, they uh, they beat us and, you know, uh, beat spankings, whatever you want to call it. You know, we was getting those. Uh, I don't think it was I don't think it was excessive. At that point, I didn't think it was excessive, but we were getting them. And, uh, you know, she told him all these things and he called CPS and he called CPS. CPS comes over to the house. And um, I, as a five year old, I believe, maybe four or five, four or five, whatever, um, the CPS tells my parents, they come, you know, unannounced, of course, they come and they tell my parents, like, uh, they send me, they go in the room with me and talk to me and they, you know, make my parents go out. And five-year-old me in my head knew that these people were here to take me if they, if, you know, if they- If you said the wrong if thing. If I said the right or the truth, you know? Sure. <laughs> yeah, the wrong thing in my head. So I, I lied. At five, I knew to lie, and I lied, and they were like, yeah, do you guys get spankings? And I was just like, no, they they take us in the room, and they talk to us. And I'm like, what the, you know, in my head, even at the time, I was like, this is a fucking lie. I've never been talked to, you know? Yeah. So uh, I lie, and I, I just pretty much, anything they said that seemed bad, I just said the opposite. You know, I just knew to do it to protect, you know, my mom. You were a little adult. Oh, man, I was. A little, very precocious, a little precocious shit I was. And, um... They they leave, they leave, and, of course, nothing happens. And I just remember uh, my mom and her and her boyfriend at the time. I remember Ivan was happy because, you know, they didn't get in trouble because I lied. And they knew I lied, and you know what they did? They rewarded me for lying. I remember I, got, I was taking the Chuck E. Cheese or somewhere for lying. <laughs> and, oh, my God, like... I think even at the time I felt uncomfortable. Like, ugh. is there a special pizza for a domestic abuse cover-up? I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't know. It's, uh. The meat is bruised on the pizza. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that that was probably like one of the bigger memories of back then. I'm so sorry that you. I, you know, I joke about it, but mm -hmm. it, it, I'm so sorry that that. You had to go through uh, such 
uh, abandonment. Yeah. And you know what? I swear, even at the time, like, I'm justifying it in my head because I'm like, it was not that bad. Mm. Like, you know, back then it was not that bad. (laughs) Kids are so resilient. They don't think of it as abandonment. They're just like, oh, all right, okay, you know, I'll deal with this and then I'll get to play. Because you got so much stuff to look forward to, I think, sometimes as a kid. Tomorrow. You got that inherent excitement in you that gets you through it. It's, um, it's, it's later when I think the, that kid energy starts to go away, Mm -hmm. that the, that the real feelings start to, to surface. Um, give me some other snapshots from, Um, from childhood. So, okay. So we moved out, we moved out of that place, um, down the street, but, um, this full blown, like we live together, this is your stepdad, you know, and, um, he was abusive. Like before he was not so much, but yeah, when we moved here, he got into abuse mode. And, um, after was, you moved out, after we moved into another place with him, so oh, we moved okay. into a two bedroom. I'm I sorry, see. I didn't clarify that. Uh, we moved to a two bedroom. So it was like full blown, like this is your family, you know? And, uh, oh, so. Ivan was crazy person. Uh, and I say crazy, like he hasn't been diagnosed, but paranoia is something, you know, and he would, um, he never hit my mom, but he would hit us. And, um, I re- like now, even now I look at pictures and I remember I was looking at a picture a while ago and there was a gash on the side of my face. And I was looking at it like, where the hell did that come from? And I think it was from one of the times he had hit me, you know? And it's just like, are you, you know, like a gash? Wow. <laughs> wow. And, and yeah. And, and, um, one of the, one of the worst ones I could remember was, uh, it didn't even happen to me. I was, uh, I was in, we had a like real small place and my sister was coming out of the bathroom and he was going into his bedroom and he walks past my sister and she's about to go in our room and he like lifts his hand up for something. And because he hits us all the time, she flinched. You know, because, oh, you know, it's natural. And he, she flinches, and then he says, what the fuck are you flinching for? And he punches her in the head. And my sister, I believe, was seven or eight, punched in the head by a grown man. You know, she, and then it it got dropped right there. Like, that was just how he handled it. You flinch, you get punched. She goes in the room. She's crying, of course. And that, that happened. And was your mom My there? mom, yeah, she was there, but she even to this day, like, was living two different worlds. Like, we were living in a hell. We were getting beat by this man. And she was living in just, like, I guess, ignorant bliss where she was just with her man. And, you know, I got my man and my kids, you know. And that's what she was living in. And if we tell her today, even now, like, she'll she'll tell you, like, I don't remember all that. And we're like, Mom, we're telling you. Like, do, do you need to remember it? We're telling – me and your daughter are telling you that this was going on. She just – and it wasn't like he would. It wasn't like he would sneak in a room and do any of these things. He would do it very publicly. He didn't care, you know. He would do it in front of her. You, he would just do it. Do you ever remember him hitting you and then you looking at your mom and trying to make eye contact with her to see if she saw? Never, never, because she wasn't there for it. You know, uh, it, it you mean she was there physically but yes. not uh, emotionally? Yes, like I knew that wasn't an option. Yeah. And it was just like, yeah, this is my life. Like, you know, just like kids, just like kids do. Every Put your time. head down and hope it's as short as possible. Yeah. And, um, and, um, he also had this weird thing where he would, um, we tease, we joke about it now, but, uh, me and his son, me and my stepbrother, uh, he, he used to beat us for no reason, but he would justify it as, um, uh, we had attitudes or like, uh, our spirits weren't right. 
And uh, this is the least spiritual motherfucker you will ever meet. Yeah. And he's sitting here telling us our spirits on that, like, you know. And I'm just like, what? Even as a kid, it was absurd. Like, oh, you know. and we would come sucking your thumb. You're full of shit. Yeah. <laughs> and and we would come. We would come in the. We would come in the house from school. And I remember we would all before we would go in the house try to compose ourselves in a way where we thought that would work better because we didn't know what would work it would just be like if he felt that our spirits were bad or we had an attitude he would call it he would whoop he would beat us oh i feel like you got attitude we get a beating and you know at the time we didn't think about like how fucked up he what like what happened to you to like well you need to like you know blow off steam on kids but yeah so did you blame yourselves or did you know that he was fucked oh, up oh no we yeah. knew he was crazy but well, that's you know. good <laughs> but we we just downplayed it so like you know we knew we knew like oh this motherfucker crazy but we just downplayed it so much where it was just like like this is just how it is for us we didn't really you know we didn't have the the words we didn't have the words to 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 explain why it was so wrong but we just knew it wasn't you know it was him yeah. it was his problem he was sick uh how do you think that's affected you today? Um, Have you been able to make any any links between that and? Um, I I think I'm I'm very um, cold. I guess would be the word. Like um, I I have a very uh, kind of like how your sense of humor is. Like <laughs> I, I listen to this podcast. Uh, yeah. no, like you know you'll you'll hear something really fucked up. You'll just instantly make a joke. You know, kind of yeah. like that. And it's just like that's that's a coping mechanism. What do you? Here's something I find myself doing when there's something really sad on the news and somebody you know next to me will be crying. I'll think to myself, why can't you cry about this? You know, I'll, mm -hmm. I'll, that's not to say that I don't ever cry. Um, but I find myself sometimes just so oddly numb mm -hmm. about darkness and pain in the world. Mm -hmm. Almost like I'm watching it from a spaceship. Yeah. Do you, do you experience that? Um, or do you find yourself getting emotional sometimes? I, I feel, I feel angry most of the time. Like, you know, um, I feel more angry than anything. I don't feel, I feel sad because why is the world like this? But um, I don't know. I kind of cope with it in a way where it's just like, yeah, shit happens. You know, and I don't understand people that are beside themselves with like, you know, people that are crying. I'm like, come on now. But at the same time, I do feel like I'm able to um, to feel, I guess, you know. It's just anger. Yeah, I get being mad. Your I, get, I get mad, like, especially, you know, there's a lot going on with cops killing people right now. Like, I just get Dude. mad about it, you know. And um, what did you think when you saw the Ferguson thing? <sighs> Uh, here we go again yeah yeah but like um talk about this a lot with my friends um i get mad because it 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 tells the world it tells america that that people that look like me don't matter and that makes me really mad because you know i look like me you know like i am a i am a i don't want to say tax paying that's corny but i i'm a good person I work every day. I I contribute to society. Country. I serve the country. If I were to get pulled over and they didn't know all those things about me, they would assume the worst. And I couldn't possibly be a you know Mike Brown or you know any one of those guys that just got shot. So that really it scares me. It makes me not want to have anybody in this world that that you know it makes me not want to bring anybody into the world. You know, like a kid because it's just like I don't want you to have to go through this shit. This is bullshit. Do you feel like we're making progress? Um, yes, I do feel like we're making progress, but I think when it, it 
situations like this just let you see how far we have to go. What does it make you feel when somebody says, we don't have racism, we got a black president? I slap him in the face. I really just, I really want to f- slap him in the face. Like like I said, I feel anger <laughs> in, the, in the most zen way as possible, but anger. So stupid. And I think um, they can say that because it doesn't affect them. But if it were ever, ever, were ever to affect them, then they could see. Like, I mean, like you could look at the news now, like. They 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 paint these kids as bad people. They paint them as thugs. Are they even justified? Well, Lance, them? they are coming from a convenience <laughs> store, which we know is a hotbed of criminal activity. There's cigarettes there, There's liquor. Uh, yeah, I, exactly. And I'm just like, what the fuck? Like, oh, oh, um, he. Anything they say, like they, they'll say like, oh, he was this, he was that. Does that mean he deserves to be gunned down? And, and you know, in a in a in a in a most this it's just an undignified way to go out of the world where you're you're just existing. Somebody's scared of you because they don't get it, they don't understand it. They have a you know preconceived idea of what you are. They don't like it and they kill you. And they're able to do that because they're cops. And you know, and they get suspended and that's it. And now there's someone dead. Like there's a you know, and I don't think that we should be so trivial about human life. I think that's an understatement. Yeah. yeah. You know, and we yeah. should not be so trivial or cold towards it. It should not be like, we should not have to justify why it's wrong to kill a person. Have you, do you go through periods or have you gone through periods in your life where you hated white people? <laughs> um, yeah, I would say maybe, um, no, nah, I don't know. I don't know. I'm a little weird because uh, I have extreme anger towards some white people but it's not all white people because i'm no better than the racist white people if i hate all white people and uh my sister's half white you know so like i i have this weird perspective where it's just like you know i can't hate you know i love my sister i love you know and i can't i i can't find it in myself to be like oh i hate white people because that's who my that's part of my sister's identity but at the same time you know yes um it's easy, you know, <laughs> you you watch Roots and it's like, oh, these white, you know, these crackers, well, you know, all of that stuff. It, it, it's easy. It comes natural. But you just have to understand there are white people that are bad, but there are also black people that are bad. So yeah. people are bad. Can be. Yeah. Give me some other snapshots from, from <laughs> your life. Let's talk about your... your um Coming to terms with your with your sexuality. I can't remember in your email if you said you identify as gay or bi. I think I'll say gay, I guess, but um, I want to say pansexual and that uh, like if I because I've met trans people that I'm like, oh, I would date that person, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know. I think that's what it is. Um, for me, it's just really about like a, if I can be with somebody that understands me and likes me without, you know, any judgment. I don't really care what you are, you know. If, if it's I could, so beautiful. Yeah. If I could get that, then that's what I that's what I'll go with. And. So when when did you uh when did you know that you uh that you're that you weren't straight? This is good. Um how do you mean this is good? Oh no, because I I know a lot of people that didn't know until they were like adults sometimes or like, you know, or older teenagers. I knew when I was a little kid, like maybe 
five or six, like early, really early. Uh, I was very precocious, so you know. But like, yeah, I knew it very early because I remember we would watch, we would watch TV. And there would be like a naked guy or something and I would feel a certain way and it would be like, oh, you know, and I would kind of know like, oh, you shouldn't feel that way about that. But I would. And then um, I remember I used to have like um, I used to repeat like mantras in my head as a kid. Like, I'm not gay. I'm not gay. I'm not gay because I don't want to be gay because it's bad. You know, Jehovah Witnesses, gay people go to hell. They're, you know, you're going to get AIDS and die. You know, that's, that's what, you know, I grew up hearing. And, uh, you know, um, black culture, no, we don't do, you know, we don't do that. You don't do that. You're, you're a boy. You don't cry. You kill things and you eat meat, you know, that's what little boys do. So, um, you, everybody around you is homophobic and they're saying all these awful things you learn like for your own survival just to shut the fuck up and like pussy you know like oh i like <laughs> yeah let's where's the pussy you know uh-huh. and and i went through i went through phases in middle school where we just, well like in middle school and high school it was weird um i knew i was not straight but i never acted on it at all so i was essentially just straight like you know uh i was not but you know what i mean as far as would like, you date yeah, Girls. like, well, I didn't, I don't, I don't date anybody. That's my, I'm a. But did you to, as a cover up? No, like, uh, like, well, I would try and stuff, but like, you know, I actually was attracted to them. So, you know, it was just that. And I attracted to the women. Yes. Okay. So, and I wasn't actually like, uh, yeah, I was never acted on, uh, any gay feelings or anything like that. So it was kind of weird. It was like after school ended is when I was just like, well, this is what I do, you know? Mm-hmm. And so. What do you remember about your first experience? Oh, it was the worst. <laughs> Why is that? Uh, uh, it was Craigslist. <laughs> Craigslist is the devil. Um, yeah, it was... Um, I don't know if I've ever heard of, of a positive Craigslist experience. They don't exist. Um, I think a We po- need to talk to Craig. We should. That motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, he... he ooh. <laughs> um, it's, it's what it is, is uh, I think a... a, a a good Craigslist experience is if you are alive at the end of it. So, <laughs> <laughs> so Paul Grimm Martin laughing. Uh, so, you know, technically I've had all good, you know, experiences, yeah. but, uh, the first one was just like... Ugh. I love that an Iraqi war veteran is like, oh, Craigslist is fucking dangerous. Oh, it's the worst way... Yeah, it's worse than Iraq. I, I can give it that. Um, the first one, I think I was 19 and I went on Craigslist and, you know, I was um, perusing and um, somebody... I got a hit. You know, I got a hit. And, um, and I go, I go to this place and it was just like this meetup where it's just like, is this the place? And, you know, you got to call, hey, I'm outside. And um, a door opens up and there's this older, this is like this older white guy. He was like maybe in 30, up, higher 30s, maybe 40. Um, and um, good looking dude, like in good shape and stuff, not like creeper looking. But um, we, we fool around and it turns out we're in someone's fucking house and it's not his. <laughs> And I'm just like, what the fuck is this? You know, yeah. and then, and then, and then, oh, oh, I remember the first thing I say to him was, um, I said, what's up? I'm like, what's good? Cause I think like, you know, we're about to do stuff. We should probably talk. Yeah. He says, this dick is good. And he walks out of the room and goes oh. into the bedroom. And I'm like, are, is that what this is going to be? Like, is this? Oh. <laughs> and, and this then, dick is good. This dick. <laughs> this dick is what's good. 
it, it, it was just one of those like, okay, you know, like, okay, this is. And that was your first experience. First experience. And oh, I'm so sorry. It kind of laid the groundwork. It, it hasn't got better. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. So, is there some place that you can find guys that is better than that? I mean, yeah. I mean, there are a lot, but. Um, I don't know. It's a, <laughs> you know, you know, the issues run deep. It's a, I think it's just one of those. How, how so the issues run deep? You're afraid of, of being too out in public with it. You want to kind of keep it secretive and. Well, back then, definitely. Back then it was all about just like. And you were how old when that happened? I was happened? 19. Okay. I had just like, um, came back from boot camp and I had my own apartment. So like, you know, freedom. Um, and yeah, back then it was definitely about that because I lived in Fresno. Fresno's a small town and it's just like, you know, somebody sees you doing anything or they see you with anybody, you know, everybody knows. Is there a gay bar in Fresno? Um, yeah. Gotta be. yeah. Yeah. Oh, definitely. But same thing. Same thing. Yeah. You know, someone, the wrong person sees you and they say like, oh, I saw so-and-so here. Then, you know, the whole town knows about it. And, you know, I wasn't ready for that. Uh, I mean, I haven't come out to my everybody yet, so like I'm. You haven't sti- come out to your parents, right? No, no. Or, well, but you don't don't know your dad. Have you ever met your dad? Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, I, that's right. In your email, you said that you just you finally met my dad. I just met him like in May. First time ever. Yeah. Yeah. So. Should we should we jump into that now, or was there uh, some more stuff from uh, childhood? I want to fast forward through childhood, like uh, go back to it, but like yo, I'll try to abbreviate it because I know we only got like. A little bit of time. Um, So, yeah, yeah, I'll get to that. Um, So, when we're talking about gay stuff, I guess go back a little before that. Okay. So, just a bigger snapshot uh, of my story, I guess, my origin story. Um, So, mom with Ivan. Ivan leaves my mom. So, I'm back. We're back like seven, eight. Ivan leaves my mom. Uh, He... He, uh, they're fighting a lot. He's not happy. She's not happy. Uh, he just leaves. Like, he takes all of his shit and he leaves. He moves out. And my mom, uh, like I said, she's cold. Mom doesn't cry. Uh, she cries. You know, it's one mm-hmm. of those things. Like, she's crying. She's devastated. I'm just like, oh shit. You know, it's getting real in here. And, um, my mom cries because of that. Uh, Ivan moves out. He moves, um, to the next town over. Um, which is like connected to it's pretty much Fresno, mm-hmm. but it's called Clovis, and it's like a little smaller town where all the white people go to get away from all the people in Fresno, and that's Clovis, and that's where Ivan moved to, and um, she ends up finding them. They end up kind of talking again. You know what ends up happening? Ivan ends up coming, not coming back to live with us, but always being there and still hitting us. And at this point, I think we're getting fed up. Like, you know, as children, we're like, what the, this is bullshit. You know, like, the beast just left. Now the beast visits and beats us. Like, what the fuck is this? Oh, he's got the best of both worlds. Yeah. He can beat kids and he doesn't have to pay rent. Exactly. Exactly. And he gets some booty, you know. So yeah. this motherfucker just leveling it up. So he, uh, I'm sorry, there's anger here. I need to get nice. No, uh, let it out, <laughs> man. If you want to scream, scream. Oh, man. So, so Ivan's still beating us and I... Fuck, I forgot how old I was at this point, maybe eight or nine. And I remember I was sick of it. Uh, I had gotten in trouble for something. And Ivan tells me, uh, 
you know, he's coming. He's a schedule ass whooping. It's like, you know, like if he had an assistant, she would have been marking them shits on her calendar. Cause like he would, he scheduled ass whooping with me. And it was like for the next day. And he tells me like, oh, I've been waiting on, like, like, like. Well, he's a sadist. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like, like pretty much like, oh, I've been waiting on your ass to mess up. Like he said something along those lines, like, oh, I'm going to get you good. And for some reason in my, in my kid mind, I think like, aside from me just being sick of getting hit by this man, I was just like, you know what? For some reason, I thought this one was going to be worse or something. And I was just like, I'm done. I'm done. And I decided to run away, you know, run away from home. And uh, I got the idea because my sister had done it years before. And, like, you know, she was only gone for a day, but she ran away. So I was like, I'm running away. Fuck this shit. So my mom used to leave for work, I think, like, 530, like, faithfully every morning. So my mom goes to work. Ivan said he was coming. It was probably, like, 8. He was going to come at 8 to whoop me. So I had a schedule to get my ass whooped. So I was like, either get your ass whooped or get out of here. So I was, I'm out. So uh, I, I did the prison thing. I put a basketball where my, you know, where my bed was and I stuffed the, you know, stuffed the bed. <laughs> um, I took, I took a knife. I took a little, little kitchen knife. Cause I was like, I might have to protect myself. You're sick people. So I took a knife and I just go, I leave. And, um, and you know, this is a little kid world. So I'm all in this like, maybe like 20 block radius, but I'm out of there. So I go to my, I remember I went to my little cousin's school. She went to school down the street and to, to like have my, my Bonnie, you know, like I'm coming to pick her up. Like, Hey, uh, I ran away, come with me. And she's just like, I got to go back to class, you know? And she, <laughs> she's like, she's a year younger than me. So I think she was like eight. So she's like, I gotta go. I'm not going with you. So I'm like, damn it. So I leave and I go to the mall because I don't know where else to go. Uh, everything's closed. It's like early in the morning. So I go to the mall and I remember, um, I needed some money to get some food because I was hungry. So I go to the, the, the wishing well and I'm just picking quarters out of the wishing well to get money to go get food. And, um, I just hear drop it and I turn around and security guard catches me and um he he walks up he walks up and like you know he sees a kid stealing out of wishing well like what the hell are you doing and um I'm not a religious man I don't believe in God but uh, this is weird the knife that was in my it was like in my breast pocket of my coat flies out it just decides to come out right now so it comes out and it hits the it hits the counter and the guy, you know, he sees a kid with a knife. Now he's like, oh, shit, what is going on? So he, he obviously, alarms goes off. He takes me in the office and he tells me, uh, he's like, what the hell? You know, he asked me what's going on. I don't know why this time it's different as far as Ivan trying to hit me. I spilled all the beans. Like, you know, I went back to that time when I lied. And I'm like, I'm not lying anymore for this motherfucker. Like, you know, you get what you get. You know, I'm telling the truth. So I told the security guard everything he Hits me. He smokes weed. He, you know, this is back in the day. Weed was illegal. He smokes weed. He keeps it in a little brown box. I was telling everything. And the security guard calls CPS. Everybody comes. They take me home. You know, they're interviewing my mom. They're interviewing me. And I don't know what ends up happening. Uh, nothing ends up happening. But um, what ended up happening in my home is uh, Ivan, he kind of got the idea to back off. Because, you know, he, he saw, like, oh, the kids are fighting back, you know. So he did back off. But my mom beat me really bad for this. We would get beat by our mom, but, you know, it would just be like, whatever. He did most of the beatings. But, like, she beat me. Like, it was like a special whooping because I told on her boyfriend. And, you know, you know, we're talking about what that does to you. It's just like, yeah, like, this is not my, this is not someone that's going to protect me. This person gets mad when you tell the truth for, you know, trying to protect yourself. 
And yeah, and I that might have been now that I'm talking about it, that might have been where like my mom had like that, you know, that that what like metaphysical death for me, like, oh you're dead to me. You're not a person. And like it was just kinda after that it was just kinda history. So so I think that was important to tell because yeah, you that think was just, <laughs> that was just me, yeah, me deciding to like fight back. So we let's just pause there yes, for a second. Yes, and soak, <laughs> soak that in, Lance. Oh, I mean, that is, buddy. I just want to give you a hug, man. Oh, man. I mean, that is some you and everybody else. <laughs> oh man, are you uncomfortable right no, now? No, no. I just I think it's funny because you know I've I've been through this. That's why I'm just kind of like, yeah, <laughs> that happened. I mean, that, that just takes my breath away. Yeah. That just <laughs> takes my breath away. And you know, I hear a lot of stuff. Yeah. On the yeah. podcast. Mm-hmm. Have you ever cried about it? Uh, No, not really. Not really. Um. I'm learning that crying's good. Uh, I cry. I try to cry once a year. <laughs> I try to get my. What's your favorite time? Christmas? When uh, you no, no, because Christmas. Uh, I guess we'll get there, but that's a bad time for me. Uh, I no, it's uh, normally I like crying on a car, uh, listening to a song, and I just like kind of think, and I and I cry, and it's a good cry, and then I feel like I take a bath, and I'm just like, okay, uh, next year, same well, thank, time. Same. Well, thank God you you you. You're able to let some of that stuff out, but it, it's never about your life. It's always about uh, the song. The song just brings up feelings, or, just, or is there? No, it's, do you make connections? No, it's just well, it's just a like songs. You know, it gets you in the mood. It's not a specific song. It's just sometimes I just go drive, listen to music, I think about everything, and I just let it out. Okay, so you do think about your life. Oh there, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Oh, okay, it's not it. just the song because sometimes a song will make me cry, oh, but no, I don't. No. I don't. Go, oh, that that's why I'm I just think, oh, that's a beautiful melody. Yeah, and yeah. That that's why. No, 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 no. It's the it's the stuff, but like it's funny cause this stuff, like right now, this is me revisiting. That's why it's kinda like that's why like, you know, you're like, Oh no, I gotta be I'm like, What? It's it's just my life. Yeah. Uh but yeah, I'm revisiting because I don't ever really think about it much. Have you processed it with a therapist? No. I I had a therapist. Oh, like maybe sometime last year or maybe even longer. I had a therapist a while ago and I didn't care for her. Um, she was uh, she was more impressed about my life than 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 willing to help me. So, so it seemed cause like uh, when I say that, like uh, I told her I do stand up mm. and she was asking me questions about that. And it was kind of like it didn't it wasn't about helping me. It was just like, like she was interest. fascinated by yeah, show yeah. business. Really? Like she was interested in what I did. That's what I mean. She was interested in my I life. See. As it was, not, you know, the stuff that we need to be talking about. I, I got you. And um and I got the sense that I was smarter than her. Um which is you know, it's just like you're telling me stuff I can tell myself. I don't need this. You f- you felt like you were emotionally more intelligent than than her. Or you mean <laughs> book smarts both. as well. Just okay. both, I guess. I don't know. Because felt- you know, my feeling about, about therapy is a lot of people may be book smarter than their therapist, but mm-hmm. it's about emotional yes. uh, emotional tools and emotional processing. I mean, um, yeah, that's the that's the important thing. And I, I just want to say that so that people out there who are quote unquote brilliant um, and think that it's you got to find somebody you know who has more degrees than you or whatever that it, it's. Um, that's that's a myth. It's about finding somebody who 
you feel feels you. Oh, well, then that, that was part of, I guess, two sides of the same coin is that she showed that by being interested in things that were not going to help. You know, like, yeah. oh, so when's the last time you had a show and stuff like that? And it's that, like that that's a bad therapist. Exactly. So that's why I was like, I don't want you like, you know, uh, yeah. if you ever want to have drinks, we can do that. But, you know, yeah. if uh, we want to help me, I'm going to need to find somebody. So else. what about finding another therapist? Uh, I I am not in the process, but I'm planning on it. So okay. I need to get there. If money is an issue, Google love. Lofi therapy in uh-huh. the name of your uh, town or city. And you live uh, just south of uh, uh, here. You live in Long Beach. Yes. So I'm sure there's a ton of oh, therapists yeah, yeah. there. Um, you can also dial 211 and find uh, services. Now, I would imagine you don't want to do it through the VA because you don't want it on your record. Um, or am I wrong? The The stigma is actually changing about mental health in the military, so I don't mind it. Cause, Thank um, God. Yeah, it's changing. It's changing. Um, the, the military is making a big emotional shift. Now, mind you, there should be an asterisk next to that because it's military, but it's still better. It's better than it's ever been. They, they're far more conscious towards mental health. And vets are killing themselves, returning vets are killing themselves at one an hour. Oh, yeah, it's bad. It's bad, and, you know... Yeah. <laughs> More vets have died by their own hand than have in, in the, the wars. War. Yeah. Um, the recent wars. Uh, was there any other uh, oh, yeah. snapshots from... Oh, yeah. We're revisiting. Sorry. Uh, next chapter. Uh, my mom ends up finding another man. And uh, this one was this one was good because um, I came home one day. I'm like in the sixth grade now. I'm about 12. I come home one day and there's this big, ugly tall really dark african guy in my house and i'm like mom who is this and she's like oh this is um anthony and i'm like okay she's like this is my husband what yeah and i'm like excuse you beg pardon she's like and she's laughing she's smiling she thinks this is cute oh this is my husband and i'm like uh once again excuse me she's like yeah we 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 got married at the court, and they got married because uh, my mom was talking to somebody at her job. Uh, this guy needed a green card. That's why I say he was oh. African because it, you know, oh. it was relevant. Uh, yeah. uh, he needed a green card, and she married him so he could get a fucking green card. And I, I guess he gave her some money. Mm. But instead of just like, you know, that's your business, mom. That has nothing to do with your kids right now. She moved this motherfucker in our house. So now, you know, we go from we go from Ivan and then we go from Ivan to nothing, which, you know, we're happy with nothing. My mom works all the time. She's also a workaholic. So, like, we were happy because it's like, listen, both of our tormentors are gone. Our mom's not here. Ivan's gone. We're free. We could do whatever we want. Then, you know, this guy comes and we're like, Fuck again and then this guy he wasn't as bad as Ivan he didn't hit us but then at this point we were teenagers we were both not having it you know me and my sister and um and uh he just lived in our house and he didn't he didn't pay any bills he would eat all our food we were really poor so food mattered um and he would like be really possessive over weird things like the phone like he would hide the phone the house phone, like, so we couldn't use it. Weird stuff. He would take the, at one point, he would take the phone to work with him so no one could use the phone. What? Yeah. And, like, we, and, you know, like, it's funny because he was doing this and this was all big stuff for him. We didn't care because we had, like, a neighborhood, you know, community group that we, we're just going outside all day, come home. 
That's all it was. That probably like, saved you, huh? Oh, it did. You know, I had great time like with my friends, but at home it was it wasn't it wasn't miserable like with Ivan. It was just weird. Like you know, we have this. That is weird. We just have this African guy that doesn't want us to use the phone in our house. Like how weird. You know, that's just a weird fact. So, um, and my mom's always at work, and um, so that was our existence for a while. Then. Um, this, I don't know if this is conformed, confirmed or not. And this is not my story, so I don't want to tell it. But I think, um, this, this man, I think he sexually abused my sister, like touching or something because, uh, she ran away from home. Hmm. And, um, my sister, she was a little, she's going to hear, she's going to get mad at me. She, she knows. Uh, she was a little fast. You know, she was a little, she was like a little girl that was very worldly, <laughs> uh, very adult in her ways. And, um, I think something happened with them. I wonder and, if that's why he took the phone because he didn't want her to call when know. he wasn't there. I don't know. And I don't know. And it's weird because I don't know when he had time to do anything because me and her slept in the same room. And uh, we were always outside, and when we weren't outside, we were sleeping. You mm-hmm. know, so I don't know. Like, you know, uh, of course, I have no way of knowing. But, yeah, so I believe something happened, though. My sister runs away. And, and a lot of people do stuff, too, uh, at night. Yes, yes. Come into the, into the bedroom when the kid's sleeping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I, yeah, I'm guessing that's when it had to happen because I have no clue. So um, and me and my sister, we barely start talking about it now. But, like, you know, this is just like the elephant in the room. Like, what happened? Why would you, you know? So and she hasn't said anything. She or she's alluded to it. Yeah, yeah, it was more alluded. So, okay. and it was very recent, like a, last month. This actually happened. So she she runs away from home, and not that she like, talked about it. It was a month ago. Yes, yes. Okay. And me and her talked about it, and uh, she would be a good guest. Um, Give her and, my name. Oh, I will maybe. Uh, yeah. So uh, she she runs away, and not like cute run away like me. Like she's gone, you know, and. Um, she runs away, and I was so mad at her because she left me with our mom. And, you know, it was just like, listen, you don't want to be here. Why do you think I want to be here? You you got away. I started to become a, a bad kid, more or less. I mean, acting out, you know, mad at my mom, don't like my mom, don't don't respect her, nothing, you know, just kind of, you know, existing. And um, while we were there, my mom ends up getting a, a new boyfriend, <laughs> a new boyfriend. In what ways were you acting out? Um, I was, I wasn't extremely bad, but like just a school, like, um, um, I kind of fell into the class clown role, being, being loud in class, seeking attention that way, uh, being, you know, just being mean. I think I probably was, I probably was not a great person at the time as well. Um, maybe I don't think I was a full blown bad person, but you know, I was, I was, I kind of believed what I was doing and saying. So, you know, it was like, just like a shitty kid. Kid that talks a lot of shit, cussing out teachers and getting kicked out of class all the time. Uh, I didn't really ditch school, but I used to get kicked out of school all the time. Okay. My sister, oh, my sister has been gone this whole time, mind you. Wow. So, um, and did you know what was going on with her? My sister, okay, so you know, uh, I don't want to tell her business, but uh, she was on the streets doing, you know, street work, <laughs> more or less, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, damn, she's got a kill me god yeah i don't want to i don't want to shit on my sister but yeah that's what she was doing you know and oh well this whole time i was back at that other house she actually came back we recovered her and uh i just remember uh when she came back i seen her and i just broke down crying i was in the eighth grade i was 14 and i broke down crying and i just remember saying i can't even look at you you know because she looked changed well no, it was because I, I knew what she was doing. She left me with my mom. You know, like, more mm-hmm. than anything, you left me with that. And you know what that's like. Like, me and my sister bond over that today. Like, we, 
you know, nobody knows what we went through but us because we were there. And it wasn't, it wasn't, it was a weird go through because, you know, my mom wasn't on drugs. My mom did go to work every day. My mom was physically there, you know, and she was still awful, you know. Sometimes I think that is more painful than the parent that physically leaves. I wish, I swear, I really, I, I used to say it all the time and I, I still mean it. I wish she was on drugs. Then I would have an excuse for her behavior. Well, I can tell you, uh, love addiction, that is a drug. It is a drug, and the pharmacy is in your brain, and that's one of the dangerous things is it's open 24 hours, oh. and love addicts live in a fantasy world where they, they, you know, put this other person on a pedestal, and they pour all of their, all the things that they don't want to deal with in their life, in their past, they, they lose themselves in this other person so they don't have to. So mm-hmm. it's really the same as a drug. It's no different than somebody getting high. And <clears throat> people that go through with the withdrawal of a relationship um, will say that it's every bit as painful as going through a withdrawal from heroin, sometimes sometimes worse. Mm-hmm. So it, it's a real thing. Yeah. Um, it It's, yes, your mom had a choice but in many ways she really didn't with the because the disease makes the choice for you so i know that doesn't make the pain any easier but i i guess i want you to understand that your mom if she is a love addict which sounds like she is like um she was up against a fucking beast a beast that warps her reality oh so still happening yeah. um yeah so uh if i want to leave i start a fight with my mom like, you know, at this point, no respect. There's no respect at all. Just, you know, oh, I want to leave. I'm going to talk some shit. And she's going to be like, get out. And I'm like, thank you. And, then, you know, I'm going to go do what I do. And I will be back on Monday for school. And that's how every weekend went. I would leave for the weekend and come back on Monday for school. And it just that's that was my existence there. I, I want to focus less on the your mom and all of these guys. You know, there's a pattern here. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. I think the unless there's something dramatic about the difference between boyfriend number A and boyfriend number Z. Okay. I want to talk about you and your emotional inner life, gotcha. how this stuff has affected you. Okay. So, okay. So yeah, I'll just fast forward to the point of me moving. <laughs> yeah. uh, this was the, this was the last, so this was the last straw. I was senior in high school, about to leave. My mom is with this new guy. I don't like him. He, um, so I had a bank account because my recruiter hooked me up with a bank account and all this stuff. And my mom stopped paying me and giving me things because she thought I had money for some reason. So uh, I go to the bank one day and, and it, it shows up that I um, pretty much, oh, you overdraft, you overdraft. Mm-hmm. What happened? You know, they're like, oh, you wrote a check. And I'm like, I did not write a check. And it turns out either my mom or her boyfriend wrote a check in my name. And I'm just like, OK. And um I tell my mom, I go home and I tell her, I'm like, you know what, mom, somebody wrote a check in my name. I think it was your boyfriend. And she tells me, um, oh, no, that was me. I'll pay you back. And she walks right out of my room. She doesn't acknowledge anything. And I don't know why that was it. That was the last straw. I was just like, fuck this. I'm done with all of you people. And I just fucking I'm like, I call my best friend and I'm like, I'm 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 going over your house. I'm and I just moved. I moved out and uh, I never went back. I never went back. If I ever went back, it was to get closed, but I never went back to spend the night, and it's been that way. That was when I was 17. I have not been back to my mom's house. And um, and I think that's when our relationship died. 
officially. It was already, you know. Did you talk to her since then? No, we talked, but it okay. died right there. Though. I see. Like, it didn't get, like, emotionally, didn't go anywhere. Um, I talked to my mom. It's routine. Yeah. It's routine. So, that that was it. And then I joined the Army. We, well, Herbert's telling us that we need to take a uh, little break right here. Um I want to tell you guys about uh, our sponsors, GoDaddy. Uh, GoDaddy is releasing hundreds of new domains that tell people who you are and what you do. Um, some of the new ones they have are .guru, uh, .club, .photography, uh, .expert, and uh, there's options for just about everything that you would uh, that would you would want to secure for your uh, little piece of online virtual real estate. Um, I agonized long and hard about uh, trying to, to find the perfect name for this website because I felt like the mental illness happy hour dot com was, was too long. And so uh, I found Metal Pod. And, uh, you know, when you find the right name, it's, uh, it's nice to find a place where you can purchase it that's simple, that's easy, that's dependable, um, that has a, a, an interface that's easy to navigate because some of these these sites where you purchase domain names, uh, they were uh, designed by people that don't have the, uh, they assume that you are as tech savvy as they are and um, that, that can be a real pain in the ass, but you don't have to worry about that with GoDaddy. And um, if you visit GoDaddy.com and enter promo code MENTAL199, you will save 30% on your order and some limitations apply. See the website for details. But once again, go to GoDaddy.com and enter prom- promo code MENTAL199 to save 30% on your order. I want to also welcome a new sponsor to our show, Harry's. They make uh, razors, uh, shave cream, and replacement razor blades, and they sent me um, their $15 pack, uh, which has a razor with a blade, uh, the moisturizing, shave cream, and three replacement blades, and I love it. It's half the price of what you would pay for an eight-pack of blades at the drugstore, and these are delivered right to your door, so you don't have to go to the drugstore. You don't have to wait for the person to open the case. Uh, you know, as if you're purchasing the Hope Diamond. But most importantly, uh, Harry's is, it, it's really high quality stuff. The first time I squeezed their shaving cream out into my hand, it's, it smells really pepperminty. And my, my first instinct was I wanted to go decorate a cake and eat it. It just smells so good. Um, the blades are really high quality. Um, and it's a close shave. Uh, my face is so soft when I'm out in public. People think it's a baby's butt and they try to diaper my face. I might be exaggerating, but I might not. You'll have to follow me about town to see whether or not I'm lying. But uh, I, I love it. It's a great product, and I couldn't be happier that they are sponsoring the show. Um, they make their own blades. It's a high-quality shave that's better for your face and your wallet. So go to harrys.com, and Harry's will give you 5 bucks off if you type in uh, my coupon code MENTALPOD with your first purchase. That's harrys.com and h-a-r-r-y-s.com and enter coupon code MENTALPOD and start shaving better today. What are what are, what are some issues since then, since you moved out of, of the mom, your mom's house? What, what are, you know, we've talked about your, your sexuality a little bit. Where, where are you with that right now? Um, uh, what does it feel like when you're when you were in Iraq and uh was that the don't ask don't tell years or yes. was this after that? Yes, definitely. What, um what what was that like? 
Um, it was it was a little easy for me because uh, I don't. I don't Nobody like, asked, and you didn't have yeah, to tell. Yeah, exactly. And um, like I said, I never at that point I wasn't really. I had done things, you know, uh, after I turned nineteen, uh, and I left when I was twenty. So I had done things with. Uh, I had fooled around with guys, but uh, never like date anybody or anything. So I was still kind of in that in that zone. So like it was easy. I just didn't. I didn't date anybody. I just didn't date anybody, and it was that easy. And uh, because I work where I work, if I get in trouble, um, I'm, I lose my job and all this other bad stuff. So it was there was incentive to not do anything anyway. So I just didn't. And um, so, yeah, deployment was easy when it came to that because I didn't do anything. And like I didn't I didn't like didn't slip anybody notes or anything. I just kind of mm-hmm. kept my nose clean. So when I came back, I think that's when it actually like, oh, you're in the real world now because, you know, there's fake. You know, you you're a cookie cutter lifestyle. You do the same thing every day. Just in the past couple of years, I think I came to terms with it. Like, you know what? I am not straight. You know, I am not straight. Um, I would like to be in a relationship where I could just be in a relationship and be open with who I'm with and have people know. But I don't want to be in a relationship if I'm not out to my family, at least. You know, so that kind of is what hinders me from being in a relationship. And on top of that, it's just like, that's why I stick with like Craigslist, because it's just like, you know, you you meet, you do what you do, then you go about your life and you never see that person again. And that way I feel like for me, it feels like I don't have to lie because I don't want to. That's where I'm at right now. I don't want to lie. What would the problem be with seeing somebody for a while and then coming out to your family? Does that feels dishonest to you? Um, Yeah, because I don't want to have to I don't want to have to hide. The the initial the initial getting to know that person. I don't want to have to hide that. I just want to be able to do what I want, you know? I see. So how close do you feel like you are to coming out? Um, Very close. <laughs> yeah. That's why I'm here. Uh, no, I feel like I need a kick. I Like, you know, I just need a nudge. And um, and who is it that you're... Is it your mom? Have you come out to your sister? No. She's she's really homophobic. Like, she, she used to say things to me, like, in the past couple of years, like... I don't care if you're a killer. Just don't be a fucking faggot or don't be gay. She would say stuff like that. What did that make you feel like? Awful. <laughs> like, like it just makes me feel like, you know, it doesn't, ch- it doesn't change the way I see her because I know she's just being, she's talking from an ignorant place. She doesn't know any gay people. So, you know, that's where it's coming from. But at the same time, it makes me feel awful because it's just like in your brain, I already know what you think of what I am. And you think lower than a murderer, <laughs> you know? That's and, unbelievable. And and that's what that's what's taking me so long. You would think that somebody would have, um, uh, a more open-minded view of sexuality. Mm-hmm. You know, even you know, even though I know prostitution is not for the person who's selling it. Generally, mm-hmm. about the sexuality, it's about the survival. Mm-hmm. But um, you would think that 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 she would say. Gosh, we we all got our own issues, um, but uh, it, it was worse because it was unprompted. Like you know, like she thinks that, like you know, and just, she has a special hate, <laughs> special hate for gay people. And it's just, what do you do? What do you do when that happens? Uh, work, work. Uh, I'm in the army. You know, I'm in the army. I hear people talk about gay people all the time. They're the worst, you know. And I don't want. I don't want I don't want my sexuality to define me in a way that affects my work because what does that have to do with my work, you know? I will offer this counterpoint and it's easy for me to say because I don't have to be somebody that comes out, but 
a guy like you who seems personable and easy to talk to, your coming out might help change their mind because you will put a face and a soul to the gay people mm-hmm. out there because I think a lot of people that feel that way just haven't had somebody whose soul, who they've had a nice soulful conversation with. I'm assuming that you have nice soulful conversations with people or you just kind of lock it down when you're out there because you're like, I don't want to get to know these people. No, with with individuals, I love. <laughs> I love having yeah. uh, soul connecting moments. But Have you come out to anybody? Yes, yes. Who? Yeah, that's why I said partially. Uh I have a plethora of best friends, but uh, one of my best friends from high school came out to him. Uh, how, did he, how did he handle it? Great, great. What did he say? He didn't care. He just was just like, you like dudes? That's what he said. Yeah. And then I and I was like, yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then I gave him a, a, a ask me anything. So I was like, you know what? One time only, ask me anything that you want to ask me that you got in your mind. Uh, I would not crush you verbally if you do so. And that's how we did it. And he asked me questions and I answered them. And, um, do you remember what any of the questions were? Uh, you know, have you ever been with a dude? You know, stuff like that. And I was just like, you know, I was very honest with him, very blunt. And I told him, I was like, yeah, you know. Because um, he didn't know if I was just thinking about it or if I had actually done it. And um yeah, so, you know, he asked me a couple questions like that. Um, nothing too personal, but, yeah, you know, and um, it was fast. It was easy, and I felt really good after I did it. And um, that's kind of, I feel like uh, something inside of me is kind of cheap with coming out because I only come out to people that I kind of already know what they're you kind of almost know how most people. That's not go. cheap, dude. That's human. I, I feel that way, though. You, you know? Oh, oh, Lance, <laughs> that is so not cheap. That's that's. You know, on many levels, that that makes sense. That makes sense to me. And f- first of all, why would you not start there? You know what I mean? Why why would you go to somebody who you think you're going to be rejected by and have yeah. that be your first uh, your first experience? So uh, I I totally understand that as much as somebody who doesn't have to come out and can understand that but, but you know I, I i've had to express to, to to people some of the stuff in my life that was i was afraid of being judged for and i suppose on a certain level i can relate because there was the anxiety of oh they're gonna fucking hate me they're gonna think i'm weird uh you know they're gonna be uh, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, man, you got a lot on your plate, Lance. Too much, man. Sometimes I feel like too much. I um, really, really hope that you can you can talk to somebody and open up about uh, this stuff because that's a lot to hold inside. And I, I would imagine that the smoke and the weed. Uh, are there any other drugs that uh, are your go-tos? Oh, no weed for me. <laughs> oh, no weed anymore. No, no, no. Okay. no. Like uh, I was never actually. Didn't you say that you you did smoke weed? Not, maybe. Yeah, I've done. I've done. I've maybe it's because your eyes are so red now <laughs> that I'm assuming you're a weed smoker. Your eyes are very bloodshot. Oh, man, I'm yeah. sleepy. Are you? Yeah. <laughs> um, that's hilarious. No, people think I'm high because my eyes are low, but uh, no, no. Uh, what are the drugs? Um, 
Re- now, now I don't do anything because I can't. But uh, I okay. recently, I recently did shrooms, and uh, that's why I was saying, like, oh, um, okay, you know, the oh, army knows you get in trouble. I see. So it's not like you're uh, oh, you have a drug habit. No, not at all. I'm uh, oh, okay. I'm my friends. They act like I'm an undercover cop because I'm so yeah. straight laced. Like I don't do drugs. I can't. I can't. I get yeah. in tr- I get kicked out uh, the army. But um, that doesn't stop some people. No, no, not at all. I know. <laughs> but uh, no, no drugs for me. So. Lance, you are a remarkably put-together guy for what you've been through. Thank you. I mean, you, dude, you are as resilient as they, as they come. And I would, I would say this. You're 24, and you've got your resiliency right now. But my take on trauma and all that other stuff is as we age, we begin to lose that resiliency. It gets eaten away at... By the stuff that we bury mm-hmm. and I really urge you um, to to go find somebody who you feel safe with who you feel felt by and and really really dig into this stuff while while you're you're young and while you're um, this guy who's easy to talk to and because um, we can go to this place man where all of a sudden, just being around people it feels like sandpaper where getting out of bed feels like I shared this with somebody the other day. Sometimes feeling getting out of bed for me feels like walking naked out of an igloo, <laughs> you know, just like, oh, my God, it's going to be brutal. Yeah, it's going to be brutal out there. It's just going to be a shock to my system to to roll out of bed and have to do whatever. So. I just want to urge you and anybody out there that is listening who is has these stories but they don't feel crushed by it yet yet is the key, is the keyword there yet is the keyword your thoughts Oh yeah uh no I agree 100% uh I I actually recently had a moment where it, it came out and um the anger the yeah, at the anger, the 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 pain. Um, Talk about it. I I so you know I met I met my dad recently. Um, I found him on Facebook, and um, I contacted some people. Ended up getting his number, and I called him. It was like he well he called me, and we spoke. And the first conversation we ever had was just really really shitty in my opinion because he he kind of gave me a half-assed excuse of why he wasn't around. Like oh I couldn't find your mom is what he said. And um, I you want to find somebody, you'll find somebody. Yeah. And then he said, I couldn't remember her last name. And then he uh, he gave me her last name and then he gave me my last name. He said it was one or the other. And I'm like, motherfucker, you had both the names you needed, you know. And so I'm just like getting mad as I'm talking to him. And were you he, saying this stuff to him? Or no, were you I didn't. That? I didn't say it. I didn't say it. What I told him was he lives in Sacramento. So at next the be- door to Fresno. Yes. At the beginning of the conversation, I just kind of like told him, like, you know what? I said, I said, there's no reason why we should be having this conversation over the phone. I said, do you mind if, you know, sometime in the next couple of weeks, if I come down to see you or come up and see you? He said, yeah, I would love that. So uh, mind you, I have a brother. I have uh, siblings. Uh, one of the brothers that um, one of his other kids is about a year young, 10 months younger than me. Um once again, that God thing I mentioned. I'm not real religious, but uh, something up there. This dude lived in Long Beach. My brother. Um, he went Is to your Lo- brother or half brother? 
Half brother. Okay. So my dad's son that I've never met ever. He, I'm living in Long Beach for a year. This guy lived in Long Beach and he had just moved. It turns out he had just moved like a month before I found him and he moved to Oregon. And um, I called him and I paid for him to come out. And like, oh, his sister lives right across the street from me. Like, it's just like wow. right across the street. So like, this is weird stuff, like serendipity, uh, you know, stuff like that. So my brother, I tell him, I'm like, well, do you mind if I bring your other son, Jonathan? It's my brother's name. So he says, uh, yeah, you know, I would love that. So I've never met my brother, but I tell him like, hey, I'll pay for you to come out. He comes out. Me and my brother, uh, we meet for the first time. Uh, he's uh, half white as well. Go figure. Uh, so I have my half brother and we uh, we rolled down. We roll, we roll down. We hang out for like a week and we drive up. Um, take him through Fresno. He meets my mom. He meets my sister. He meets my grandma. You know, he meets my family. So then, um, then we, we stay there. Then the next day we ride up. So we go to my dad's house and my dad, he lives on a, um, he lives on a ranch more or less with this, uh, with this elderly lady. I say elderly, but she's like 10 years older than him, sugar mama. And, uh, he lives on a ranch with this woman and that's where he lives. You know, he's just like a dude. And I go there and I felt the biggest sense of under, underwhelmment, I guess. Like yeah. I was really underwhelmed and I get there and he's just this guy. And I'm just, you know, this guy has been like the big bad wolf of me my whole life. Like, you know, like you leaving me, you left me with my mom and all these things happen. And, um, I, you know, I more or less hate you for it, you know? And, um, and I see him and it's just this dude and he's real casual. Like he's kind of laid back like me and he's just like, what's up, you know? And then me and my brother were, we're hanging out with him and like, I'm just kind of quiet. And I'm not saying much. And my brother is kind of we We kind of went in with a battle plan, like how we were going to attack him, you know. And uh, we go and we're hanging out and we're drinking and nobody's talking about the elephant in the room. And, and had your your half-brother been abandoned by him? Yes. Okay. Big time. Big time. Um, this is what's funny to me. It's not as funny in a sad way. I found my brother do my dad's Facebook because they were friends. And my brother doesn't know my dad. Like, he found my dad as well. He added him, and they both just let that be there. He should start a face group, a Facebook group kids. for kids he's abandoned. <laughs> he should. But then he'd hit his limit, and right. then have to turn into a He'll follow. Yeah. <laughs> he can have no more friends. Uh Yeah, so, like, him and my brother found each other, and they just were, like, stagnant, I think, for two years. And I couldn't understand that for the life of me, like both of them, like you couldn't be like, hey, dad, you're my dad. And you couldn't be like, hey, you're my, they both knew, but they did not talk to each other. So I'm disgusted by both of them at this point, because I'm very proactive. As you see, two weeks later, we're at his house. So we're sitting there and nobody's talking about like, oh, remember how you abandoned us for 20 something years? <laughs> you know, no one brings that up. And we're just there, and I'm pissed because no one's talking about it. You could probably see it on my face, and I'm just sitting there. And uh, we go to the back, and we're drinking, we're shooting BB guns, just like good old times with Dad. You know, we all don't know how to do this because this has never been a thing. So we're sitting there. Did you have the desire to turn the gun on him and just put a pellet in his ass? I wanted to punch him. Oh, I, yeah. I, I, shooting would be too easy. I wanted to inflict yeah. the damage with my hands, but I didn't, thankfully. And um, my brother gets drunk. He goes rogue on me. He gets drunk and he like pretty much he breaks down on my dad. And he tells my dad everything he wanted to tell him. And, like what? Uh, like uh, 
Oh, oh, it's bad. Um, so he just he tells him like things that happened to him, like getting molested by his mom's boyfriends because because his mom's on drugs and you know all these things, and he's just you know going in. Um, then he say like, and you weren't there to protect. Yeah, me. like yeah. you left me. You you didn't protect me. Um, being in and out of in uh, what is it um, halfway homes because he was wherever his mom was you know in and out of halfway homes in and out of crack dens you know wherever his mom was at he was at this dude you think I got a story that dude has a story so you know he's breaking down he's telling my dad all this shit you know what my dad is saying he's nodding his head and he's like that's unfortunate that's that's really sucks your dad is so numb he's a piece of shit yeah he's numb he's dead dead on the inside you dead know? on the inside. And and I'm sitting there just like beside myself, like and I and I like my brother gets up and goes to the bathroom and I start laying into my dad, like I'm like motherfucker, your son is here telling you that you know he's been molested and you know all of these things and all you have to say is that's unfortunate, and I'm like uh, I'm just like you're a piece of shit, you know I'm just telling him like you you're sorry man, like if a, I told him if a stranger told me half the shit he told me I'd probably be crying and you're sitting here saying this is your son. And he's just like, I don't know, I don't know, you know. And that was that was kind of how the we we went for a day, and that's kind of how the day that that was a high that was a high point of the day. And then um, we, me and my brother, wrote my dad letters, and um, we were, you know, at the end of the day before we left, uh, he thought we were gonna spend a night. He's like, you're gonna spend a night, and I'm like, fuck you, dude, we're leaving. So uh, I, we tell him we have letters for him, and he gets nervous. That's the first time he showed emotion, and he's like, um, when y'all do that, we like before we left, and then uh, he like, where they at? We like they in the car, and like you want to read them right now? And he's like, uh, I read them in the, you know, I read them in the morning because you know. So I'm like, okay, we'll be back tomorrow. Oh, because so, you uh, wanted to be there when oh, you read yeah. No, we wanted to get his what he thought, you know. So uh, we leave. We leave and we come back the next day. He had read uh, He had read our letters. Um, my letter was scathing. Um, I'll send it to you, actually, if you want it. I don't want to okay. impose that on you. But yeah. <laughs> no, if you want it, I'll send it to you. But it was scathing. It was just like uh, the first thing I did was I told him like pretty much like um, I thought he was dead up until, you know, finding out about him two weeks ago. Because that's what my mom had told me my whole life. I thought you were dead. And um, I'm disappointed that you're not. Because, you know, if you were dead, I would have a good excuse to why you weren't here. And, you know, to find that you live on a ranch is a, kind of a slap in the face. And I told him I don't believe in karma because of you because you're the shitty guy that leaves all this destruction in your wake and you just get to live on a farm you know that's that's your that's your the end and i'm like fuck you you know so then i go pretty much sentence by sentence our initial conversation and why you said this to me and why this made me mad and why you know um he at one point said uh my brother jonathan oh i know he really mad at me and I was it was like, Jonathan right there? No, and the, when we were on the phone, he said that. Oh, uh, okay. And I was just like, motherfucker, and for you to insinuate that one of your kids hates you or doesn't like you or anything more than the other ones is a slap in my face. Like, he was putting it like, oh, because I couldn't find you, you should be okay with me not being there for you. Like, you know, it's fine. And I'm just like, you piece of shit. So I laid into him. So then, more or less, the last thing I said in the letter was just... um what I say? I told him, um, oh, the, I don't want your, like, I don't want an apology from you. I don't need it. What I do want is just to hear you admit that you fucked up. Like, one time, just, you know, you fucked up. You weren't there. You didn't show up. You didn't take care of us. Admit it. And maybe we could go forward. And I was like, then and only then, not maybe. I was very clear. Then and only then will I decide to even continue 
attempt to continue relationship with you. So, you know, the next day after he reads that, we come and the mood is a lot different. And um, he tried to pull that shit where it was just like, let's be casual. He's trying to pet animals. He tried to show us goose or something. And I was like, motherfucker, I don't want to see any goose. Let's fucking talk about you, you piece of shit. So, um, so were we, you calling him a piece of shit? No, no, I didn't call him a piece of shit flat out, but it was very. Uh, he's a potty mouth, and we were potty mouths, and it was, I enjoyed that most, like because we were just f bombs everywhere, motherfuckers, and you know. Yeah. So, um, oh, the most, the most profound thing I said to this man was. Um, it was nighttime. It was really dark, and we were going through a photo album. And uh, my brother called his mom, and they talked. And he was talking to his mom, so it was just me and my dad. And my dad says, uh, "You know what, Lance? My life fucking sucks." Because he hates the lady he loves. He's just there for survival. And he's like, "My life fucking sucks." And I looked him right in the face, and I was like, "Good." And then instead of reacting, he ignored me, and I just stared at him like. And then that was it. And then, you know, and that was right before we left the first day. So uh, he would ignore me anytime I confronted him because I did it a couple mm -hmm. times, like like aggressively confront him with just something true. He would ignore me because that's what he does, obviously. So the next day when we talked, we got a lot more done because we talked, you know. And um, I told him my story, kind of what I've told you for the past three hours. I don't know how long <laughs> we've been here. Um Beat by beat, just like, yeah, all these bad things happen because, you know, my mom made bad choices. And he and then my brother told him his stuff the day before. So my dad was just sitting there and he was just like, I fucked up. That's what he said. And I started laughing and I was just like, and he's like, what you laughing? I'm like, that's all you can say. You know, I'm not mad at you for saying that because it's true. And then uh, did we, that break the ice a little bit. But we ended up leaving like shortly after that. We didn't stay long that day. And um, we, me and my brother had already planned. Uh, we only had one picture of my father uh, between the both of us. And it was a picture I had of my dad when uh, I was um, a kid, you know, when it's just him by himself. And um, we decided we were going to burn the picture, like, you know, like a ritual. We we're going to burn the picture because we don't know this guy. We're going to kill him. And uh, we were going to do shrooms. <laughs> so uh, you don't mean literally kill him; you just mean kill. Yeah, kill the his, picture. Yeah, like metaphorically, of course. So um, minute to murder on a podcast um, <laughs> probably wouldn't be a first. Um, so uh, yeah, so we we decide this. So this is where the shrooms comes in. So the next day, uh, we were we were on the time crunch. So we actually went to the lake that night mid like three o'clock in the morning pulled all nighter slept on the lake it was pitch black couldn't see anything we wake up in the morning and that's when we were going to do our shrooms so um we take the shrooms and i've never done them and my brother does all kinds of drugs he's a hippie um so i'm just like oh you know at first mm -hmm. the first couple have you done shrooms before? i have oh they're so good yeah. Uh, <laughs> so uh it's, you really gotta have the right circumstance and be with the right people oh yeah, but, yeah that, oh. uh well we were at a lake and you know that had just happened place. and yeah. it was just like oh they were really good for me closets are actually a great place to yes. do shrooms yeah I, I i always enjoyed a really <laughs> confined place because uh it just felt safer yeah yeah uh, the worst place i ever did shrooms was at an indiana <laughs> university ba basketball game and there was a girl sitting behind me every time uh possession changed she would scream like she was being stabbed it was the worst experience of my of my drug career other than trying almost losing my mind on acid that's another story but go ahead oh that's good sorry um 
So, yeah, we, we do them. You know, at first when it hits me, I'm like giggling. I'm all giggly. And I'm just like, whoa. And then finally that, that introspective part of mm-hmm. it where like you're just like, I thought I was God. Like, I really was just like, I am God. You uh, see the world differently. Yes, just... it was so good. And and um, so I became God. Um, it was good. Um, we we decided to get the pictures. So the pictures in the car. Um, oh, mind you, I had the 70s playlist from, from Spotify playing the whole time we were on Shroom. So I just kind of set the mood. And I was playing the whole time. So I go to my car to get the picture. I open up the trunk, and I'm looking, rummaging through my car. And I'm not looking, and I'm thinking, and I'm thinking. And, like, pretty much what I'm thinking is just about my mom and my dad, how they're shitty people and they're selfish. And their selfishness led to the birth of us kids, me and my brother and their other kids. And we have this shitty existence. Like, I was almost like I'd just rather not been born because these people – are so like you know mm-hmm. like it would have been better if we hadn't have been born because we're just like uh, your mistakes walking around that you guys decided not to fix take care of so i was thinking about all of that and i started crying right and like i like i told you i cry in my car but it was not like a cry in my car at first it started out as like a <laughs> and then uh you know tears started going down then it became a sob and then i was just bawling in this like leaning up against my trunk i'll never forget it leaning up against my trunk bawling my eyes out uh i'm not a crier i'm not a heavy filler so this was like new to me and and it just felt like all this weight leaving me and then um my brother comes over and he hugs me and then like i kind of leave him because at that point i was not crying to be consoled i was just trying to get it out so it wasn't about you know it wasn't about being mean i just needed you know mm-hmm. so i walk off and i'm in the middle of this parking lot and i'm bawling my eyes out bawling harder than i've ever cried in my life and i just start like narrating why i'm crying because i'm on shrooms and i feel like i know it <laughs> so <laughs> so i'm saying everything i was just saying like yeah. these selfish motherfuckers you know we here and we dealing with this shit and they just leave us here and we don't know and you know, i'm like and i tell my brother i'm like i'm hurt man i'm hurt and then i, I talk about um I walk around, I walk around in my life, I walk around at work very buttoned up, very polished, not polished, but very buttoned up and very composed. And I carry all of this, like you were saying, I carry all of this and and I don't ever allow myself to stop and slow down and think about it. Because if I do, I don't know if I'll be able to get out of bed, you know, and that's always in the back of my head. But then when I had this shroom trip, it kind of made me face all of that and I let it out. So I was saying all of that, like I walk around putting up and blah, blah, blah. And I'm hurt, man. And, and like, you know, and then I got it out and it felt really, really good. So I stopped crying. Um, we go. Um we, we're, we're on stream, so we're all like weird about how we're gonna go about this ritual. So we're like, we're gonna write, we're gonna write something on the back of the picture that, you know, something that represents that we're, we're gonna burn in the fire with our dad. So I put like resentment, like I don't wanna re- resent him or some shit like that. And then my brother put false emotional attachment. And then, um, and as we're writing this, um, the 70s playlist is going and fucking Dolly Parton, who I, um, before today didn't have a very strong opinion of or any opinion you know was playing and it was jolene and i'll never forget it i'm writing and jolene is playing in the background and it's just like the most intense thing i've ever done in my life and then like you know we start the Mm -hmm. fire and we put it in and um that was the moment that i decided jolene would be my suicide song or there was ever one uh jolene is it and um 
I'm about to put this 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 picture in the in the fire, and uh, me and my brother are kind of hesitating, and we finally just do it, and we put it in, and um, this is my shroom mind talking now. Mm-hmm. Um, the the way the picture burned was weird because it started from his face and it spread it out. And then, that's like a that's like a bad movie moment. Yes, you yes. know what I mean. <laughs> and, and I was thinking that the whole time it was happening. Like, it's just cliche in a weird way. Yeah. And uh, and then I get the lighter and I burn that one end, and my brother grabs it and burns the other end, and then it just like burns, you know, turns into ashes. And then we're sitting there, and then I start crying, and he starts crying, and then we kind of move to the bench and we sit down, and and then now we're both crying. And the the funny thing is because the whole time I was crying i was thinking in my head like you cannot break down two times in one day you cannot <laughs> you will not break down two times in one day and i fucking broke down again all the way down you know on the bench with my brother and like the funny thing was like the the park with the lake was still business as usual so there were family and kids oh, everywhere that's fantastic <laughs> and they were just like they were i think they were watching you know and i remember yeah. at one point there was like a husband and wife like like feet away from us and like he was kind of nudging a wife like look they're doing that thing and this must happen all the time at the lake because they were casual about it they didn't call yeah. the park rangers or anything but they were like look they're doing shrooms and they're bonding and they were kind of they didn't laughing. know you were on shrooms I, th- I don't know it was my shroom brain of course yeah. but um but yeah that happened and um I didn't know my brother well before, you know, that. And, like, we're really close now because of that. Like, I fucking love that dude. Like, I equate him to that feeling of being there and just, like, kind of releasing. And, like... I mean, how... how it, it sounds like you both felt each other as deeply as two human beings could. I think so. Because I... Every time I think of my brother, I just, like, feel a love. Like, oh, I love that dude and I can say that. And I barely know him, you know? So it's weird. But, like, I'm glad it happened. So uh, hopefully, 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 I do not get in trouble at work for telling that story. Um, I didn't get the time frame, so it happened years ago. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But uh, a couple months. But, uh, yeah, so... That was my shroom story and meeting my dad. And it kind of ended there. Talked to him a couple of times. And um, during the shroom trip, I decided that um, my dad's awful and I don't really need him in my life. You know, I don't really want him in my life. Like, I don't want that type of person in my life. So I kind of went there with it. I don't feel bad about it. Um, with my mom, I decided that uh, my dad did get, you know, we had our, we had us a talking, good talking to, you know, mm-hmm. each other. We had it out. Me and my mom haven't had that, like I said, since I was 17 and I left home. So I feel like I owe her that. And I mean, I know that's in a bad way, definitely. But um, I don't want to talk to my mom until like I'm in person with her and she can't hang up or get away and just have a talk. And it doesn't have to be mean or angry, but it's but just you like... you got to address the elephant. I have to address it. And um, that's why I'm at with her. So, like, I have not been picking up her phone calls. Uh, she's upset about that, but... Um, Let her be. You know, yeah. I mean, f- oh, fuck her. You know, <laughs> more or less. Mm-hmm. Like, that's her problem. Uh, so... We're gonna we're gonna have it soon. Um, I'm thinking I don't I don't want to have that and come out to her, but I'm I I might need to have come out to her at the end of that. Like I say, you serve you wait till her birthday and you serve her a birthday uh, cake and it says happy birthday. I'm gay. <laughs> Coming out cake. She's gonna oh, she's gonna freak out. Letter. Yeah. Letter. It's time that you, that you allowed that you. F- begin to filter 
people out of your life that don't see you and love you for who you are because you are okay exactly as you are, you know? <laughs> Everybody gets angry, yeah. Lance, you know? Given the amount of pain you have, you know, it's it's shocking that you are not in a bar beating people every night, you know, or strung out on drugs or, you know, numbing yourself with, with God knows, you know, whatever addiction people happen to, to fall into. But uh, you're a resilient dude. Thank and, you. Uh, you know, you're, that story of you and your brother crying is, uh, that's his... That's one of the most touching things I have ever heard, and I'm oh, really glad you came, you came on and and shared it. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I really hope for you that that you continue to unearth these feelings because it, it's been my experience. It comes up in layers, and as much as we would love for it to be a single cathartic experience, um, and who knows, maybe it is for some people, but I think for a lot of us. Um, it, it it comes up in, la- in layers, especially when it's been added in layers. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty rare. And dude, you've got you got a layered cake. You got a layered you don't have a, half. <laughs> a layered cake. It's big. Yeah, it's big. Um, dude, thank you, thank you so much for for coming and sharing your life with us. Okay. Many many thanks to uh, to Lance. Um, before I take it out with uh, some emails and surveys, I want to remind you there's a couple of different ways to support the show. If you're so inclined, you can support us financially by going to the website, mentalpod.com, and making either a one-time PayPal donation or, my favorite, uh, becoming a recurring monthly donor for as little as 5 bucks a month. And it's the financial platform that keeps this show afloat, and it means the world to me. So um, you can also support us by shopping at Amazon th- and entering through the search portal on our homepage. It's on the right-hand side, about halfway down. Make sure your ad blocker uh, isn't engaged, otherwise it might not show up. And it's not to be confused with the search box for our site itself. Um, and Amazon gives us a couple of nickels. doesn't cost you anything if you buy something there. You can also support us uh, by buying a coffee mug or a T-shirt. Um, and you could support us non-financially by spreading the word uh, through social media or writing something nice at iTunes for us. Let us get into this. Uh, this is, might have been the oddest launching into a... The surveys and mail that I've done yet wasn't I wasn't really paying attention. I was kind of uh, my brain was kind of split in half there. This is from the What Has Helped You survey, and um, this is filled out by a guy who calls himself Huddle Ledbetter, Huddle or Huddy, I can't tell. the The site that I use for my surveys um, has changed their um, software, I guess, and now the print is even smaller. So I feel a hundred years old when I struggle to read. And I have reading glasses on while I'm reading this. Uh, his issues are depression and anxiety. And what helps him? Medication, taking a big picture view of things, trying to recognize when my brain is telling me things that aren't true and then give myself the time or attention that help keep things from spiraling out of control. You know what is a great thing? to help you keep perspective about the size of our problems is look at that picture from Voyager 1 when they turned around and they looked at Earth and it was just a tiny speck. 
that, I think, every person f- could feel that when they saw that. They could feel something shift in them and say, wow. We are worthless. We are minuscule and don't matter. Oh, maybe that maybe that's not a good thing. This is the same survey filled out by uh, a guy who calls himself Gamer D. And he writes, that was Ivy, he writes, uh, who has been wearing a cone for the last week because she's had a hot spot. And uh, she is not happy about it. Uh, His issues are depression, anxiety, low self-esteem, introversion, and shyness. And what helps him? Board gaming, war games, but also Euro games and card games such as Flux and Lunacy. Uh, And then he writes, why? One, games are structured with rules. Everyone plays by the rules or the game makes no sense. The rules are defined and accessible, unlike life. Two, a game provides a social, social context through which I can interact with other folks who have similar interests. Three, nowadays, thanks to our European friends, there are even cooperative games where the players have to work together to beat the game system. An example would be Pandemic. Um, I play video games too, but mainly because of family members. Video games rely a lot more on reflexes and reaction time, and I'm not so good in those areas. Plus, I found out the hard way that realistic games such as Dead Island enhance my nightmares. Um I agree. There there are few things. I, I do not like playing against other people online, but I do like playing cooperatively. And uh, unfortunately, the bulk of games are um, not co- cooperative games. This is a survey. Um, this is from the Workplace Bullying Survey, and this was filled out by our friend Kay Bake, whose survey I read um, about her husband uh, earlier in the show. And... Uh, she's in her 20s and she writes I'm a nurse one of my superiors constantly comments on my weight and tells me I am too skinny she monitors my food to make sure I am eating implying that I have an eating disorder in the past she has put her hands on me to feel my waist and my wrists she always asks if I am losing weight it makes me doubt myself and triggers my anxiety although I am now at a very healthy weight In the highest it has ever been, I do have a history of severe anorexia. I've been very stable with no relapses for almost eight years, but hearing you are so skinny almost makes me have a panic attack because there was a point when I truly could not trust my own mind to take care of myself. I tricked myself into thinking all was well until I was so sick I had to be hospitalized. I learned not to trust myself. However, I am now in a good place, but I can't seem to trust myself over others. Uh, Have you tried changing the situation? No. She is in a position of power over me, and she also makes the schedule. She can be very vindictive, and she has been known to give shitty schedules to those she is mad at. Any advice for someone in a similar experience? If your therapists and family have reassured you you are doing well in your recovery, trust them. Be strong in your recovery and how far you have come. My husband always tells me that my actions over a long period of time have showed I am caring for my body, so who gives a shit what other people say? Also, for panic and anxiety, do yoga. It helps. Thank you, Kay Bake. This is an awfulsome moment filled out by um, Holly Jean. She's in her 50s, and she writes, My ex-husband left me and my 12-year-old daughter because he couldn't, quote, handle a family. We were deeply in love at the time he left, so I flipped out when he left. 
I really flipped out. I was already in treatment for depression and had been for years, but this sent me over the edge. I couldn't believe he left. I fell into the darkness. Um, full strength despair and ended up a few months later in a hospital as I checked myself in after a suicide attempt. Fast forward 10 days out of treatment. I'm waiting outside for a taxi to pick me up in front of the hospital. And as I'm standing on the sidewalk, I see a sign pointing out class was being held to teach about parenting skills in the lower level of the hospital. As I am standing there, my ex and his new girlfriend walk right by me and into the parenting class. Wow. Wow. That is... I love it when an awful moment is just a fucking bullseye. And you guys have not been filling out many happy moments or awful moments. And uh, I want to shame you for that in the deepest way possible. I want to say you. I want to say to you almost like uh, Jesus on the cross. Why have you forsaken me? I don't know if he said that on the cross or on his way up Calgary Hill, or if he had that on the back of his leather jacket. I cannot remember. I always get those confused. Um, I probably just lost some religious listeners. Good for you. Get the fuck out of here. How's that grab you? This is from the What Has Helped You survey. And this is filled out by Harry. Uh, Whatever it's the Harry that makes our shaving, our shaving products. Issues and struggles, anxiety, depression, PTSD, suicide attempt, subsequent hospitalization, and outpatient therapy. What helps? My family and friends, my therapist, medication, laughter, and exercise. Boy, I heartily agree. Those are all things that I, I have to have to do. This is another workplace bullying uh, survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Felice Catus, F-E-L-I-S-C-A-T-U-S. I'm sure it means something fancy. Um, share your experience with workplace bullying. Oh man, where do I even begin? My currently assistant manager is a complete psychopath who takes out her personal life frustrations on her employees. I'm not the only one who she bullies, but since I'm the last of the original group of employees to stay, she's targeted me exclusively. When she was in a relationship with her on-again, off-again boyfriend, she would ask intrusive questions about our love lives and compare it to hers and always made it seem as if her life was perfect while ours were shit. Uh, she doesn't know how to talk to anyone, so she would end up screaming at us while on the sales floor. I work in a small boutique boutique, and scare away customers. I've even had a customer come up to me and tell me she felt sorry for me for having to work for such a person. She makes up insane rules but never follows any of them herself and has written everyone up for literally stupid mistakes that she makes all the time. She's even written up my coworker for fixing a mistake that she made herself. She has made me and my fellow team leader do her paperwork for her while she steals our sales, then claims she's a better salesperson than me. She's had me go clean our back room and put away her personal belongings so she did, didn't have to speak to me. She's texted me at night on my days off and reprimanded me for gossiping about her when I wasn't even working that night and I had to apologize. She's had other managers from other boutiques spy on us so she could know what we were doing at all times. Um, she uses her mysterious medical condition, which only appears to affect her when she doesn't want to do anything, to get out of cleaning, selling paperwork, etc. But she can sit in our back room and eat fucking pizza and talk on her phone and play fucking Candy Crush for an hour. And worst of all, almost every time I come into work and she's there, she targets me and starts harassing me. 
from blaming me for not putting things away correctly to not cleaning correctly to just never doing anything right. I'm always to blame. She has me do all her errands while everyone else on the sales floor gets to do their actual job and I have to be her fucking maid. She's not Miranda. She's not fucking Miranda Priestley from Devil Wears Prada. She's an assistant manager to a little boutique in the mall for fuck's sake. How does it make you feel? I feel like a complete doormat, a failure. I feel less than human when I have to work with her. I try my hardest to make it easier for everyone else because I know I'm not the only one getting picked on, but it's just too much. I've given up trying to stand up for myself because I always get cut down. She's taken my self-confidence. My own mother, who's a handful herself, has never spoken to me that way, uh, to, to me the way that my assistant manager has. I feel like she's broken me. Have you tried to change this situation? Other than getting an increase on my Prozac prescription, developing a drinking habit, and smoking more weed than I have in my teen years just to release the stress that builds up on a weekly basis? Uh, I've contacted everyone I could, from HR, her boss, the regional manager, and beyond, and nothing. Everyone knows how horrible she is and has seen it for themselves, but no one is able to pinpoint a way to fire her. We're all writing things down now, and I encourage new employees to watch out and not to trust her, as bad as that sounds, but I don't know anymore. I know something is going to happen soon, since there have been a few meetings here and there, but fuck, man. The only thing that's keeping me here is the nice paycheck and waiting to see her get fired on her ass. I want to see her break as much as she's broken me. Any advice for someone in a similar experience? Don't wait until it's too late to say something. If you feel like something is off or that you're being treated unfairly, say something to the person. And if that doesn't work out, then go to their boss, etc. Contract, uh, contact HR if possible. Uh, that stands for human resources for those of you that, that, that don't know. Uh, even if this, uh, even if this is your only source of income, you do not deserve to be treated unjustly. It's just not fair. You deserve better. Thank you for sharing that. Um, sounds like I'm farting. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's right. I'm an adult. That's my my desk chair squeaking up against the desk. This is from the What Has Helped You survey, filled out by um, a guy who calls himself happier than ever. He's gay. He's in his 60s. Um he struggles with anxiety and depression and what helps going to the gym three times a week, doing 45 minutes of cardio, some weights and machines and meditating. It has actually worked very well. Awesome to hear. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by uh, a woman who calls herself Ava. She's straight in her 30s, raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. Uh, she writes, stable and safe during the week, totally fucked every other weekend and holidays, school, vacation and summer. And um, I'm just going to condense it. She uh, was the victim of, of sexual abuse. Um, she was at a daycare and an older girl there who w was the granddaughter of the owner um, did stuff uh, that she wasn't comfortable with. So she said something to the owner, the woman who owns it who called her a sick little pervert, uh, a disgusting pervert and a hateful little shit. Um, and... Uh, didn't do anything about it. She was also raised by um, a really horrible uh, dad. Um, but that's not what I, I wanted to read. And she did have some positive experiences um, with her dad, but not many. 
uh, I wanted to read her deepest, darkest uh, thoughts and secrets. Um, Sometimes I think about darkest thoughts. Sometimes I think about doing really awful things to people that hurt me. It has to be a major hurt, though. Cut me off in traffic, and I'll flip you off and go on with my day. Run over my dog, however, and I might fantasize about kidnapping you by surprising you with a pillowcase over the head and a frying pan to the nose or balls. After you've been subdued, I'll tie you up and bring you some somewhere dark, dank, and far away from civilization where I'll proceed to torture you in ways Hitler never thought of. I can really get into these fantasies, focusing on which tools I'd use to inflict what type of damage on which body part, and if it's someone I know and happen to know that they're particularly vain about a certain feature, it can even be more satisfying. I can't. I kind of can't believe I told you that. I'm a really nice person. I really am. Darkest Secrets My darkest secret is so awful I've never told another living soul. It is the cause of so much self-loathing it can be completely crippling. My mom was dying of ovarian cancer and I was her sole caregiver. It was very difficult. This isn't an excuse, just an explanation. Anyway, she had been prescribed dilaudid for her pain. And by the way, two sentences in, I knew what this was going to be because I've read of other people doing this. Um, and it just, it breaks my heart that she's so hard on herself when she's clearly dealing with an addiction. Anyway, um, uh, she'd been prescribed a lot for her pain, which was pretty bad. Eventually, she wasn't comfortable at home anymore and we needed to move her to a hospice so she could get better pain management with IV drugs. She was there for about a week and was scheduled to come back home the following day with a new drug protocol. The night before she was to come home, she suffered a stroke. I spoke with her in the morning. She was very disoriented and confused, but she was calm and I knew she was safe where she was. I spoke with a nurse who told me I had ha- what had happened and who recommended I come in and spend that day with my mom because typically end-stage patients like her who have strokes usually go downhill very quickly and lose their speech and slip into unconsciousness. The nurse couldn't say for sure how long it might take mom to end up like this. She said it might be 36, 48, 72, or more hours, but she thought I should come. I told the nurse I wasn't feeling well and I'd be staying in bed all day, but I'd be there the following day. I also told my mom all of this and she said that she understood. I don't know for sure uh, that she did. Here's the shitty part. I wasn't sick because I had the flu or a cold or even the shits. I was sick because I had been shooting up the dilaudid left behind when she went to the hospice center and I had run out the night before. I was dope sick the day my mom had a stroke and was herself for the last time. And I missed it because I was withdrawing from meds I stole from my dying mother. I will never forgive myself for this. I am sober now and am so, so ashamed and sorry for this awful betrayal. Sometimes I think about this and feel that I don't deserve anything good ever. And I want to slap you in the face and tell you to get a hold of yourself. How's that for some tough love? You are being so fucking hard on yourself and you are sober. Your mom is, if there is a heaven, your mom is smiling down on you right now and saying, baby, I forgive you. I don't know why I'm having her calling you baby. I apologize for that. But it it is all good. You are in a better place than you were. And any mom who loves you is rooting for you. 
rooting, cheering the fact that you are sober, that you have come back from that bottom that you hit. That is the greatest amends that you can make, is that you stay sober and you make your mom proud, which I believe you are, because you're her little baby, according to me. And then I'm going to slap you in the face again. But I'm going to do it with one of those fancy 17th century gloves. Not my hand, just the glove. And then I'm going to lay my coat down on a puddle. Because I, like I like to keep uh, Renaissance women off base. I like to gaslight them. Because <laughs> there's gas lamps. This is... Um, my chair is farting again. This is from the What Has Helped You survey. Um, and by the way, if there are surveys that we read occasionally that you would like to hear more of, uh, email me and let me know. My email is mentalpod at gmail.com. And if there are specific survey responses that really strike you as, as um, worthy of, of me addressing on the podcast, um, email me uh, and let me know. Because uh, each survey response is given a number um, and a, and the person usually has a name and I can search for it. Because I don't read every single survey. I think I probably read 90% of them, but sometimes uh, a few do fall through the cracks. And uh, and honestly, sometimes I, I wish that somebody would pick the surveys out for me because um, I want to know what's important to you guys. All right. Um... This is from, <laughs> she's got to be from Wisconsin or Minnesota. Uh, her name is Oh Hey Dare. She is straight in her 20s, and her issues are eating disorder, anxiety, and depression, and what helps, having a dog and running. My dog really keeps me from moping around all day and to get out when I'm depressed. I sign up for races for running, and it helps me meet a lot of like-minded people. It's a different type of addiction, you could say, as I've really gotten into distance running and racing distance distances longer than 50 miles up to 100 miles yes at once you'd be really surprised how many uh, ultra runners out there were once addicts had eating disorders and anxiety issues i guess it's another type of addiction and self-abuse that perpetuates in a more positive manner yeah we have a um a listener who is an incredible ultra marathoner uh, named hannah and um she has won several uh of uh of the 100-mile events, and she does bad water, which is fucking crazy. You start, I believe you start in Death Valley and, like, run to the top of Mount Whitney or something. I mean, insane, insane. And she uh, gave a TED Talk that was really good. This is... Um, doo -doo 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 -doo. This is a shame and secret survey. And this one is filled out by a guy who calls himself Jonathan, and he is gay. He's in his 20s. He was raised in a totally chaotic environment. Um, ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Yes, and I never reported it. Uh, really badly sexually abused as a child by my father and some of his, quote, friends. Then involved in a, quote, relationship with a 50-year-old man when I was 13 and thought I was so mature. At 15, I had sex with my priest. Everyone gets to take their turn with me, it seems. He's been emotionally abused and physically abused. Um, he writes uh, about the emotional abuse. I am a monk. My first abbot was an emotional terrorist. He had been trained as a psychiatrist prior to being an abbot, 
and given my upbringing, I thought he might be able to help me. Before I entered the monastery and was just a visitor, he was very kind to me, very affirming and very helpful. He gave me space to be myself in a way people had not before. When I entered the monastery at the age of 21, in parentheses he writes, so smart, exclamation point, he immediately changed. He began screaming at me. He told me that I was being disobedient for correcting him on facts about my own life. He... He began using hypnosis to manipulate me. He became sexually suggestive to me during these hypnosis sessions. Mostly, he used hypnosis to just make me very confused. And that combined with screaming sessions about what, ev- what even happened in my life, I no longer knew what was up or down who I was. I was an emotional wreck. Hold on one second. Uh, I was an emotional wreck. Uh, I began drinking somewhat heavily in secret, stealing wine from the monastery cellar, and triangulating with other monks in order to try to take down the abbot. At one point, at one point though, another monk groped me and began talking to me in a sexual, sexual way, saying, it's okay, don't worry, it's all okay. It freaked me out. It sent me into a PTSD-fueled tailspin. And when I told the abbot about it, he responded by telling me that I should leave the monastery and that this was my problem. But then I stayed for another year and a half before going to another monastery that turned out to be more of a cult also ruled by an ex-psychiatrist that made me even more emotionally ruined than the first monastery. The spiritual leader was still a licensed psychiatrist with a practice and thus doled out medications for my quote psychological disorders that after four years of therapy I had never been told that I had. Soon I realized almost all of the monks were on medications. Uh, she was a homophobic monster that was obsessed with the sexual thoughts of monks. She made me confess in detail sexual thoughts, and she made me and others confess to all the other monks. We had meetings that lasted hours where we would denounce a single person, often for things that were actually mostly fabricated, things we saw in that person's heart. I didn't know what was up or down again, probably even more. Finally, I'm in a safer place, on another continent. I managed to use my language skills, I'm a translator, to get reassigned to another monastery um, in Europe where I am trying to regroup. The above is just a short version. A lot of me, as I am writing this, feels that my story is so incredulous that you won't even believe, so I am hesitant to write more. Uh, Any positive experiences with the abusers? Yes, the first abbot, he in a way rescued me from my parents who were insane. He also taught me Greek, which is a way in which I was ultimately able to escape the second monastery. He could also be quite cultured and interesting when he wanted to be. The second spiritual leader also helped and that she saved me, quote, saved me from the insane abbot. She also helped me to come uh, to more peace about my relationship with my family, despite all the bad she did. Darkest thoughts. I want to have sex with my bishop. I have not told anyone that. I think he might like me too. I calculate how to get ahead, which is not good for a monk. I have fun by writing bad reviews from my past psychiatrist online. I fantasize about smashing her expensive car. I fantasize about things I could write her. I wish there were police I could call to put her in jail. I don't think I will ever be good enough. I need constant uh, approval of, of, of from others. Um, my biggest struggle in living abroad is that I don't, I don't have a daddy figure to latch onto and develop a crush on. I am a sick freak. 
Uh, darkest secrets. I have had sex with my own father as a child. I remember it all too vividly. I suppose that is the deepest, darkest thing that has happened to me. And then all the men that I've had sex with since then, both in terms of being abused again and then on my own, seeking out those kinds of men when I was fully legally competent to consent to such relations. I've had sex with more than one married man. I used to seek them out on online sex sites. I have hooked up with more men whose names I didn't even know than I want to admit to. Um, so I must say, in some rare instances, I, uh, I claim I don't remember, but the truth is I do. I make it sound like I was in some kind of daze or almost crazy, but I'm not crazy. I knew what I was doing, and I remember everything quite clearly. I suppose that is my biggest secret about my own darkness. I remember it all a lot more clearly than I remember. Uh, and I decided so much of my own, uh, decided so much on my own that I wanted to. I try to blame it uh, on someone, the other guy, or on my past. And sure, that has some impact, but I, st- but I know I still choose. You know, if you are a sex and love addict or a sex addict, um, the amount of choice that an addict has is v- slim. Uh, if they're not in recovery, somewhere between slim and none, um, because the, the power of, uh, addiction and only you can know whether or not you're truly an addict, but, um, given what happened to you as a child, it would be, um, very rare for somebody to not be either completely sexually shut down or sexually promiscuous and drawn to people who are emotionally unavailable, um, or smothering, or both. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you in the arms of my current daddy figure, him stroking my hair, tenderly kissing me as he fucks me in the ass. It makes me feel like a sick freak. You are not a sick freak. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? Um, I should always ask who they want to say this to because sometimes I don't know. And he writes, just because you have a penis doesn't mean you have anything to say to me. Fuck you and your myths that you use to make yourself feel safer. What, if anything, do you wish for? To find someone who will love me as I am and that I can love back. Have you shared these feelings with others? Some, not the darkest fantasies, no. I tend to share things that happened to me instead of things I did because I feel less guilt, uh, though certainly not without guilt. And people are generally helpful, but also amazed that I have made it through as well as I have, that I haven't imploded on myself, that I can function normally in society without people knowing about my dark past. But their affirmations sometimes make me feel like somehow I must not be explaining things properly because they don't hate me yet. How do you feel after writing these things down? Relieved to write them, but also scared of myself. Wondering if you believe half of what I wrote and if you would believe the things I didn't even bother to write. I believe you, and I think anybody who heard me read that believes you and wants to give you a hug. So, sending you some love, and um, I hope you... um, I hope you find mental health professionals or support groups or something that works for you where you can begin to feel that love that you deserve because you deserve love. We all do. This is from the What Has Helped You survey and this is filled out by a woman who calls herself Bug9 and she suffers from severe panic, anxiety, and PTSD 
And what has helped? Hiking or walking barefoot in nature, especially near moving water and meditation. Uh, I just want to... Blanking on the word. Endorse meditation. You've noticed that about four people from these surveys have said how meditation has helped them. It's also helped me. And I am a big fan of taking the shoes and the socks off and walking on the grass. Um, especially... If uh, if you can do that on a golf course, um, walking on a if you've never walked on a on a green, a golf green without shoes on, uh, I don't know how they. <laughs> I've never been caught doing it, but uh, it's one of my favorite things in the world. This is which survey is this? Happy moments, and this is filled out by a woman who calls herself Psych. And her happy moments, she writes, one of my favorite happy moments was the time my sister and I decided to see if we could both squeeze into the same pair of sweatpants. We totally could. I love doing dumb things with her because it makes me feel like myself. I spend a lot of happy moments acting as a volunteer in my Mormon temple. I get to connect with a lot of people, which is really life affirming. And it's so nice to read a positive experience with religion um i know it may occasionally seem like we shit on religion in this uh program but we we don't we don't i i believe in god uh i believe that my belief in god or higher power whatever you want to call it has absolutely not only saved my life but given me a life um i just often think um a lot of people um use religion as a tool to injure others. Um, This is a happy moment, and this was filled out by a woman who calls herself Karen, and she writes, my grandfather is an alcoholic. The only time we've ever talked about it uh, was when he told me and my sister that he had a problem, but he was going going to start going to meetings and try to quit. Uh, That was a bunch of years ago, and we've never spoken about since. Then, at my 20th birthday party, I went up to talk to him and ask him if he was having a good time. We spoke a little while, and then he told me that on August 24th, he'd been sober for five years. I high-fived him and congratulated him, and uh, I swear he looked proud. That was the best part of my entire birthday weekend. Not the skateboard I got, not the motorcycle lessons, not the amazing party, although it was good, but the fact that he felt comfortable to tell me about it. He is my favorite of all people. I love that. Love it, love it, love it. And then finally, I want to read this email uh, that I got from Ren, who uh, we've read some of her uh, surveys on the podcast before. And she wrote me an email and she said, uh, as you may recall or not, uh, and if you don't, I don't blame you, From some of my recent forum posts and survey responses, I've been having a pretty dark time here lately. A while back, an old ex-boyfriend requested me on Facebook and has been sitting there awaiting my response ever since. It wouldn't be such a big deal except that he emotionally abused me and our final night together ended up in rape. So while I'm a forgiving and compassionate person, I'm only now, nine years later, beginning to unwrap the shitstorm of trauma that the rape brought into my life. After deleting my account, forming a new one with a pseudonym, and having him find me again, I've been ruminating even more on the whole thing. 
Do I tell him what he did? Do I tell his friends who have begun to seek me out? Do I just ignore him? After spending all morning making myself sick, fretting about uh, it, I wrote him this long letter telling him everything I've wanted to say for nine years. I didn't send it. It made me even more anxious, and I actually had to uh, stop all activities for the day and lay down because it had exhausted me. As I lay there tormented in near tears, I imagined just writing him a simple note that read, Go fuck yourself. I immediately smiled and got out of bed. My day has been so much better. Every time I think about doing it, I laugh even harder. So all this is just to say thank you, Paul. Thank you for making the shitty things just a little less shitty. You help even more than you probably realize. And I would now tell you to go fuck yourself, but I'm saving that for someone special. And uh, I kind of wanted to end on that note, but I also wanted to read. I wrote her back and said, thank you for managing to create an awfulsome email. Hilarious, sad, and touching. And yes, I remember you from the surveys. Um, and then I asked her if she thought about contacting a therapist or a rape, rape crisis uh, counselor and mentioned uh, RAIN.org, which is the Rape and Incest National Network, or calling 211 from a landline to find out if there are crisis centers. And she wrote me back and said, I can't thank you enough. I actually went to RAIN after the Nandi La Sofia episode when he said, it's still rape even if you say, please don't, my jaw dropped. Turns out I've been raped four times, four different occasions, and guys. I wasn't even allowing myself to call it that because I hadn't been beaten up and left for dead. I did contact a local local rape crisis center, and I'm receiving therapy once a week for free. Extra awesome because I had stopped seeing my previous therapist due to lack of funds. I didn't even know what crisis meant until last week, and here I've been walking around in crisis for decades. Who knew daydreaming about suicide and drinking yourself to sleep every night was a crisis? Seemed normal enough where I came from. Anyhow, it's a bumpy, potholed, dilapidated road to recovery, but I'm slowly learning to give myself more credit, and I'm doing everything I can to just keep plowing forward. There's got to be an end to all the pain somewhere, right? I mean, there's an end to the universe out there somewhere, they say. So I hold out for better days and relish the good ones when I get them. I'm a fucking mess 75% of the time, but hey, at least it's down from 90. Your podcast has truly opened my eyes and helped me put a finger on all the holes where the misery was pouring out. Thank you, and please use anything I've said in there. I want to be a force for good in this world. That's so touching, and uh, you already are. You already are a force for good in the world. Um, anybody out there who's hurting and wants to heal, um, the healing can be about so much more than just you. That's that's the thing that, that amazes us when we heal and we share our stories with other people is we realize we can we can make the world a better place. I know that sounds a little grandiose, but we can because we can help others realize that they're not alone and that recovery and healing is possible. And Ren's on her way, and I fucking love that. And that's a happy moment, and go fuck yourself. Wow, I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know where that came out of. I kind of like those because they even surprise me. They even surprise me. Anyways, if you're out there and you're feeling stuck, know that there is hope. There is help. You just gotta. You just gotta make that painful decision to say, "I can't do this anymore. I don't know what I'm doing. Please help me." And it will change your life. It will change your life. And um, just know you're not alone. And thanks for listening. 
Everybody I know is bizarrely beautiful. Everybody I know is weird ways. Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird ways. Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird ways.